Halliburton Matherin. Halliburton Matherin. Halliburton Matherin. This was a recurring dream you had, or this is a theme that you anticipate as the one thing that we will hear a lot of? Just keep on repeating that to yourself, Pacers fans. All throughout the year. That right there. Halliburton Matherin. Insert your wobble for Webin Yama. Actually, I don't know if that flows very well. Well, was it drama? Well, you certainly had drama last night, right? Wasn't the ball boy that Miles Turner stepped on? Did he have the under on Pacers wins this season? <laughs> I'd like a word with him. In terms of their tanking 23, was is he their hero? The ball boy that gave them reason to sit Miles Turner? Yeah, they might hang him up in the rafters. Hang his, uh, I don't know, is there a ball boy outfit they could put up in the rafters for him, for his effort? Last night, good Thursday morning to you, Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, Sam Fritz filling in for Mark Dykton on another crisp start to uh, this Thursday. The Pacers lose last night to the Washington Wizards in a game that, you know, again, if you're going to tell me Miles Turner gets hurt in warmups, probably unfolded about how I would have guessed. Um, but individually, Tyrese Halpburn and Benedict Matherin were pretty darn good and that is a very encouraging sign and Jake in a fourth quarter that ended up having some competitive moments all the youth out there all the youth scoring getting you back in that game not Buddy Heald not TJ McConnell obviously not Turner and I think those are the signs that you look for for this season I realize and for both of us as well I realize that this year is going to be a challenge to keep people's interest, quite frankly, in the short term. Because I personally will enjoy watching them because I think they're young and fun and, you know, there is an intrigue of different combinations and pieces and seeing what works on particular nights and what players jump in to have a good night. But if it goes like last night, Kevin, where they are competitive, they show flashes, and then in the end, and we saw this a lot last year, whoever they are playing just has enough to pull away. I mean, eventually people are going to be like, okay, I mean, I've seen this before. And I don't mean that as a knock on them at all. I think everybody understands that this is what needs to take place for the Pacers like in two years to be really good. But that's going to be – it's going to require a lot of patience between now and then. Have Scott Agnes join us at 8.30. Um, he'll update us on where things are, Miles Turner related, with that sprained ankle. Um, I feel like that just sums up the last two years for Miles Turner. Totally. And, you know, Miles Turner is an interesting guy to me, Kevin, because I, I – We got hurt stepping on a ball boy? Yeah, I don't want to speak for – the fan base here, but but this seems to be the tenor among most of just kind of this expiration date with Miles Turner, and yet I don't think Miles Turner's been a bad apple at all. I, I mean, I I could be naive on that, but it doesn't seem like he's a guy that. I mean, at times there's a little bit of diva in him, perhaps or drama, but for the most part, it feels like. He's kind of done what's been asked, right? He just his available. I mean, I've never held injuries against somebody. I, I realize that 
in his case, there are times where the injuries might seem questionable. But, you know, so many people just have this foregone conclusion that Miles Turner is gone, and I understand why that is. But there's a difference. We have seen players in this town that sulked their way out of the franchise. He doesn't feel like one of them to me. No, but is he injuring his way out of the franchise? Well, again, I get that. And I'm with you. You obviously can't hold that against the guy, but I think that's the concern is you want to get some return on him um, via a trade this season. And, yes, it's a sprained ankle. It's not a broken leg, but I think that's a concern that you're going to have all year long with him. But, again, Tyrese Halliburton, Benedict Matherin, some really, really strong moments for both of those guys last night. So a whole lot to get to. And recapping the Pacers season opener, the Colts had a much, much better Wednesday-looking injury report than they did last week. So some encouraging signs on that. A healthy running back room, Shaquille Leonard, gets back to practice. Uh, in Indiana, Kentucky, Jake, John Calipari yesterday says, agreed in principle starting in the year 2025. Now the big question, and I have not seen – I'll be honest. I saw the headline. I was I can't remember what I was doing. Did it say where they're playing? Uh, TBD slash TBA. I think both. Yeah. So these are because that's always been the big question, right? Is they need to have them on campus sites for at least a chunk of whatever that series length is going to be. I loved loved when Indiana and Kentucky would play. It was always like two weeks before Christmas on a Saturday. You're out doing your Christmas shopping, Indiana, Kentucky. And I loved it when, and I realized the RCA Dome is no longer around. But when it was at the RCA Dome and you had half blue, half red, and then at Freedom Hall and you had half blue and half red, I loved it. Loved, loved, loved it. How about a little four-year cycle? Assembly Hall, Rupp, Banker's Life, and Freedom Hall. Yeah, that's probably the most realistic thing, right? I think watching, I don't know if this is resonating with me, Jake, after what we saw on Saturday in Knoxville, but with collegiate athletics right now, and I guess with the NBA and the age limit, you're always kind of concerned, okay, where's that going to fall? You need to create some of these marquee moments for college, let's just focus on college basketball, I guess, for college basketball players. And I think of my four years down in Bloomington and certainly Kentucky coming to Indiana and obviously the game itself of Christian Watford making that shot lives up to the hype. But just that game and all of the hype leading into it, the game obviously followed a Hollywood script, but that is a moment that even if Indiana would have lost that game, Watford doesn't make the shot. If you ask anybody that I went to college with, during that time, that would be the game that they would remember more than any other. And we saw it with Tennessee and Alabama this past Saturday. And obviously, college football, you don't get a ton of neutral site. Um, you know, it's two conference teams. You obviously aren't going to get that. But I really, really hope that you get campus sites with both of those because I just think those environments have an intensity level and an atmosphere that you just cannot replicate at the neutral sites see it's really interesting because i'm going to give you a different perspective not to say that that's wrong it's all relative right when i was in college so i'm going to give you the older man perspective i guess but when i was in college i was in college during the time 
that Indiana played Kentucky in the Dome. I, I recall vividly Indiana losing to, to Butler. Travis Trice went nuts in that game. And then coming back in the Damon Bailey, you know, Sports Illustrated game where they went back the next weekend and won over number one Kentucky in the Dome. And I remember – now, we were on winter break, but there were a lot of us still down there, you know, working and whatnot. But just anticipating and waiting for – the team to come back from Indianapolis. It was like, you know, as a student, there was a level of excitement about seeing your team being put on this stage of a neutral field in a or a neutral site in a big arena and the whole country watching it. That was like this exciting thing. My point being, you are correct in the fact that I think having it at Assembly Hall would have been even that much greater but you don't know what you don't know in that moment. And so, therefore, like, there was a level – there were reasons and ways that we found it to be exciting and cool to have the the team of your school going out and playing on this big stage elsewhere. We thought it was super cool. Um, and everybody got together to watch it and everything else. But, yes, to be able to, like, camp out and actually go to the game would be pretty, pretty darn exciting, no question about it. But – I'm not going to say we didn't know any different, but like it, it felt like a bigger stage when when that nationally televised game would be at a place with 25,000 people. I, I think you're starting to get a little bit more of that with like the Champions Classic. or Yeah, they, there are so many of those. You know, the pre, CBS Sports right. Classic. I mean, IU's going to play Arizona and Vegas this year, but IU's also going to play at Allen Fieldhouse. Like, I, I think you, you need to continue to come back to the campus sites because, again, I think those are you, – you're going to have the neutral site stuff and all these TV sort of tournaments provide that. Uh, but I think making sure that you continue to go to those campus sites is massive for creating an environment and creating atmospheres that college kids are going to remember for a lifetime. And in an NIL age limit dominated world, I think that's really – Really important. So, yeah, John Calipari announced that yesterday at SEC Media Days. We're just a couple of weeks away from college basketball underway. You know, the um, it's interesting, the upcoming season. I think it's been a while since we've been able to say this. The expectation is higher in Bloomington than in West Lafayette. But I think Purdue could be sneaky good. I, you know, I – I don't think sneaky is probably the wrong word because I think people will expect them to be good. But, I mean, I think Purdue could be really good if they can find some shooters. I think Purdue's got a chance to be a really good team. Yeah, I think Brandon Newman is a huge, huge um, uh, yeah, agreed. factor for them and just some growth. Uh, he's probably been on campus for, what, three or four years now. Uh, I think that is vital. But front court wise tremendous. Trey Kaufman-Wren, really excited to see what he can do after the redshirt season. Uh, and just, you know, is is there another gear for Zach Eady? You know, no Trayvon Williams now. Is this a guy that can play 25 minutes a night? Can he be that dominant, dominant big? The Big Ten has lost so much. Hunter Dickinson's still at Michigan. Um, but you have lost some big guys around the league. Um, eager to see what Purdue looks like and if they indeed give the ball to Braden Smith from day one and let him be their point guard of the future uh any other thoughts Pacers wise last night I was a little confused that your guy didn't get the start without Turner my guy uh-huh Isaiah Jackson I think a lot of people were were you the one that somebody pointed that out on social media that I follow like why would he have not gotten more minutes I, 
do I need to see Terry Taylor in the starting lineup? Like, Terry Taylor's the starting five last night? I was confused. Jalen Smith moved up, basically, right? And Which was confusing to me because you I, hear all this talk in the offseason, like, Jalen Smith is our starting four. It's almost like they're still wanting to stash Isaiah Jackson. I, I, you know what I mean? Like, you, you got, gloves off. You but you're right. He is my guy. There. You're right. I, I think he's – I just think he's a massive talent. Like, he plays a, so above the rim and so explosively – that that I'm gonna say I I can't believe I'm about to say this, but knowing that the Pacers this year are trying to limit the number of wins, let me rephrase that. Assuming that the Pacers this year are trying to limit their number of wins to keep themselves in the best position draft wise moving forward. I know this isn't the case, but it feels like they know that putting Jackson out there for significant minutes would increase their chances of winning a game. I just don't think you can have that mindset. Uh, yeah, uh, again, you I'm not his... accusing them of that at all. I mean, I, it just... It... Like, aren't you stunning his growth? Don't you need to see what you have in him? I think they know what they have in him. I think he's... I'm unusually high on him, admittedly. I just think that's such like a weird game to play. If you have the worst record in the league, it's not like you have a 50% chance to get the number one pick. You have a 14% chance to get the number one pick. I I, I don't I guess I don't really like right. fully understand the this is not the NFL of you have the worst record, you get the number one overall pick. I think Isaiah Jackson as a can he be an every night starting center in the NBA is a question that needs to be answered. There's a lot of talent, a lot of potential, but I when Turner got hurt in warmups, after I thought to myself, is, is that a real tweet I'm reading right now? I thought, oh, I'm looking forward to seeing Isaiah Jackson as a starting five tonight. And at the end of the half, he showed you why you were excited by it, right? And they're starting Terry Taylor, and God bless Terry Taylor, but like, yeah, I just don't need to see it. Let alone again, Jalen Smith, the natural four. That was probably the one big rotation issue I had no Nemhard last night I mean that again where does he kind of fit with McConnell getting those backup minutes the one thing that is curious about the Pacers games this year among a lot of things actually but one of the things I think has to be taken into consideration and this is kind of that double-edged sword the Pacers know that they are now competing with every pro sports franchise knows, Kevin, that they are competing against television. And by that, I mean, I, you can sit at a couple of valley glitches last night, by the way. Did you notice that, too? It, like, skipped ahead in the third quarter at one point, and then, I feel like, J.J. had a hot mic. Maddie, dude, Maddie I, was getting really nervous. I texted J.J. I'm like, dude, your mic's hot. When you, He was like... Yeah, let's come back and do a feature on the yeah, Arizona, Arizona guys. Coaches, yeah, Tommy Lloyd. <laughs> so you caught that too, right? Yeah, I'm like, oh boy. And then, it, and then, like, kind of the screen just went blank, and it's like, what's going on here? But the reality is that people know that they can, aside from the Bally Sports conversation of availability and whatnot, in sports in 2022, all teams, all organizations, all levels are battling against the up-close nature of high-def television, right? I mean, you've got right there in your living room. You know, people have become, especially, I still believe, Kevin, I know this sounds crazy, 
we're long past the pandemic. I get that. But that did condition people to the thought of getting comfortable with the thought of being entertained at home. And I know that people sure. want to get out and about. I get that. But I, there are certain aspects where I, people, I think people thought, hell, you know what? I don't miss going out and, and traffic and parking and you know whatever else. So the Pacers know that they are needing to, and the Colts know this too, and the Cleveland Browns know this, and the Cincinnati Reds know this. They need to create in-game environment to entice people to come down to not only watch the game but be entertained above and beyond simply watching the game. And Gamebridge Fieldhouse has done an unbelievable job. I've toured through it. You know, I, I was not there last night, but I've seen it, of creating mezzanine, like, food court and bar areas and entertainment areas where you can see the game while you sit and you have a beer and you, just like you're in a – like you're standing at a bar somewhere – but you're, the game is down below you, and a plaza up on the top level that eventually is going to open up to downtown, where downtown's behind you and the game is in front of you down below. All of those things, and then bar areas underneath all of the seating in the lower level. So if you have a seat in the lower level, it used to be that you walked out and you got a popcorn and a hot dog. Well, now there's a, a huge, elaborate, beautiful, limestone, fireplace-looking – not fireplaces, literally, but – you know, bar areas underneath where you can go and congregate and the game is on and you're in the building and you're having a beer and you're or a Diet Coke or whatever it might be. So there are people that are in the building but not in the seating area. And it looks terrible on television. Now it looked they, pretty bad at the uh, they still start of the game last night. Yeah, they still didn't have you know, they had I think fifteen thousand was the announced. Sam was there last night and said it was more probably like what, ten or twelve, Sam, somewhere in there. Ten or twelve thousand? Yeah. Uh, no, I. If it holds twenty, how many would you say were like seated in the third quarter? They counted some gold shirts as humans. Yeah. Yeah, seated third quarter twelve thousand. That's sure. Yeah. That's fair. So, but we don't know how many of those people, how many are just down there for the the atmosphere and the environment. My concern. I saw you know Greg Doyle mentioned this in his column. Naptown Seth, there's a huge Pacer fan mentioned this last night. I am so hopeful that Seattle gets an expansion franchise because I don't think, and I have nothing to base on any thought that the Pacers could ultimately be relocated to Seattle, but Seattle is a market that I think the NBA increasingly would like to see a team there. They feel like the Sonics move out of Seattle with Clay Bennett to Oklahoma City was pretty unjust. It's a huge market. It's an area of the country that could utilize a, a shot in the arm. And I think the NBA would ultimately like to see a team there. And I would just assume that Indiana be taken out of that hopper as a possibility just because of the narrative of the conversation that it, that inevitably is going to take place not necessarily inside Indianapolis but outside of it if they continue over the next year or two to average 12,000 people per game seems like the expansion chatter is there in Vegas you bump it up to 32 teams move Minnesota New Orleans to the east and boom now you're the NFL 32 teams you've hit I think the two most glaring markets you are in right now Seattle and Vegas so hopefully when you way. say move to the East, you mean the Eastern Conference? Yes, you don't yes, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Eastern Conference. So right. you got 16 and 16 right now, obviously 15 and 15. Um, again, individually, Jake, 
I think you love what Matherin showed you right away. I mean, his first touch, he takes points. right at Porzingis and finishes over him. He had a nice reverse at one point. And then late, not afraid to take the three. Like you said, the and one reverse. Um, you know, he had 19 off the bench, and yet I sit here and think, man, he left some shots at the foul line. He had a couple turnovers. Like, he still left some Wait out minute, did you start to take the jersey off? No, I... I, I, I called the statue guy in the third quarter just to make sure we have a meeting a little bit later today. I just want to make sure everything was on the same page with that. Because I thought to myself, honestly, early on, I'm like, you know, we might need to put Halliburton next to him with that. I, I love the scoring mindset from Halliburton. I think it's important for him, Jake, as well. You know, he's got another – does he have another step on the ladder? Like, is there more there? I think last night he showed some signs of, like, there is more there that, that he can tap into. Like, is he just a pass-first point guard, or is this a dude that can get you 20 a night? And is he getting you 20 a night because you're really bad? You know, in positionless basketball where we have transitioned, Kevin, is it possible that Halliburton is just simply a guard? Oh, I think he's definitely a you point know what I mean? guard. I, I, I think he's definitely a point, but Jake, I think... But he can do more than just, you know, uh, like the definition of... And I'm... I'm in agreement with you here, but what I'm saying is when you think definition point guard, you think of like Gary Payton, Mark Jackson, John Stockton, like dribbling the ball, finding an open passer, great vision. You know, Halliburton, sure, he is that first and foremost, and he does it very well. But he can do other other things offensively is what I'm saying, right? I mean, he is just a – he can score. He can do a, a number of different things. He is a very intriguing player. And his comments post game were – I mean, he definitely was – pretty staunch in saying, you know, there is that scoring mindset that he's wanted to show off a little bit more. Last night, you had such a horrible start to the game. You frankly needed him to kind of put his head down and make some plays, and he did that. Hit some really contested shots, and um, again, I think of the two individuals you want to see the most this season, you had to be highly encouraged by Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Mather. And Brian mentions this, I love McConnell, but why to why play him and not Nemhard based on where this team is at? Jake, I think that's the sort of question you were asking Rick Carlisle earlier in the week. This dilemma all year long on McConnell Nemhard, you know, Buddy Heald and Benedict Matherin, Daniel Tice, who we obviously didn't see last night, versus Isaiah Jackson. You know, all of those you're going to debate throughout the year. Really poor night for Chris Duarte. He looked, yeah, he was struggling both ends, and then he got knocked in the face. I wonder with Duarte if last year what we saw from Duarte. Gosh, remember opening night for him last year? Yeah, and I wondered if we didn't basically get a glimpse of kind of what his ceiling is. Meaning, I think Duarte is a really, really, really good, like, sixth-man level player. But if too much is being asked of him, it's difficult for him to sustain it. In terms of he's not your number, I think now we already know he's not a number one or two player. I mean, there were times last year where I think people thought he was he was going to be like their mainline guy, and I think the world of his talent. But clearly, Halliburton and Matherin are, as you open the show, Kevin, that's your one-two punch that you're going to ride with for a long time, theoretically for a long time here, right? The Wizards tried too hard last night, Jake, for my liking. <laughs> <Yeah>. I forgot. <laughs> I forgot here. It right now it's 
24 yeah. minutes after the hour, and you are hoping that the Pacers go six past 24, right? Yeah. You <laughs> need you. 30, right? Yep. Yeah. I. You, you know, really thought for a second there you got you were well, one thirtieth the way there, Halliburton right? Halliburton had a good look to tie it there with about 30 seconds to go, and and I frankly I thought he thought it was in. Uh, injury luck is something I thought the Pacers would have this season. They did not have it last night. Where did you get your NFL Today jacket that you've worn for a couple of days now? It's nice. Yeah, I've had this for a while. This is back when I interned with the Colts. Probably This is probably over 10 years old, to be honest with you. They just handed them out, or did the NFL Today come in and you tell know, you to like, wear it in the background or something? Production meetings, you know, the CBS crew this week. It'll be Andrew Catalan and James Lofton again. Um, last week, like, they show up to the Friday practice. And I think at the end of the year, it's kind of like, thanks for all the help this year. Here's some random gear to give to people. Nice. If they want it. And, nice. I mean, I'm sure you felt this way at MTV back in the day when you're 22 years old and fresh out of college. Oh. You're thinking to myself, oh, hell yeah. So, But can you see? I mean, Kevin, the Columbia's ripped off. I mean, look, all I got is an O and an M and an A. Old Mo. Is that what you are? Old Mo? <laughs> That's pretty much, pretty much what I, I am right now. When I did my mass cleansing purge the two weeks after I got out of the hospital two years ago, almost two years ago, I mean, I got rid of so much stuff. So much, sixty percent of what I owned, and one of the things that I just could not find myself—I couldn't find it within myself to get rid of—was my pleather MTV backpack. I don't think I've seen that. I, I have no. Should I break it back out instead of the backpack that I, I use in here? So that you want me to bring in the MTV one sometime? Backpacking through Europe with your MTV <laughs> backpack, right? <laughs> That's right. Next week. That's on the agenda next That's week. That's right. This time, a, a week from today, as a matter of fact, I'll be in. Uh, I believe they call it Barcelona. Well, speaking of that, um, Paulo Boncaro last night, 27, the most for a number one pick in his debut since LeBron in yeah. 03. Yeah, not messing around, right? Uh, Jay Nivey, 19. Pacers will see Jay Nivey on Saturday. The Spurs lost by 27 last night. The Pacers will see them on Friday. Uh, that's a game I need. <laughs> Pacer Spurs at home <laughs> falls. You've got them all circled, don't Boy, you? That, that, can they play 32 times so Kevin can get paid, please? No one. Uh, that, that game is circled 672 times on my schedule. I'm Kevin Bowen, Jake Query across the way, Sam Fritz rocking his Pacers giveaway shirt from last night. And uh, we got a lot to chat about. Not only Pacers, again, season opener. Curious your guys' thoughts on that. But the Colts, pretty good injury report to start the week. Um, what do you do with running back with a healthy room? It looks like heading into a huge one on Sunday and then Shaquille Leonard back to practice after he has missed the past couple of games. We'll talk about all that on this Thursday morning, a chilly start here in Indianapolis. Kevin Aquari, 93.5, the fan. Uh, Major League Baseball last night, uh, the lovable Yankees did not get it done against the Astros. Justin Verlander looked like the Hall of Famer he is. 11 strikeouts for him, 17 strikeouts for the Yankees, Jake. That's not good. I saw people that are Yankees fans complaining about the strike zone. It did seem like there were a few times where Verlander got some calls. Maybe he's earned those over the years. Uh, game two tonight, 7:37. First pitch from Houston. The Padres come back to beat. How about the, the Pods, Phillies. man? They're down four nothing. Um, they get five runs in the fifth inning. Tons of small ball. Look like an awesome atmosphere out in San Diego. So that series is now one one. They'll have today off. Head to Philly for game three 
on Friday. Can we just agree, Kevin, that of the four teams remaining, the one that would be the coolest to win the World Series would be the Padres? Just because they've never done it, right? Yeah. And, and like San Diego is just a cool city. I mean, all of it, right? Isn't it weird, too? Because think back to the trade deadline, Jake. Like, they have a couple guys in their team that are making just like Yankee-type contracts in yeah. what we think oh, of. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, well, and they're the guy that most people felt was the best player in baseball is not even there, right? But, again, that atmosphere yesterday just looked absolutely awesome. I mean, have you been to San Diego? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Uh, it. NBA last night, by the way, Washington, as we talked about over the Pacers, 114-107. Bradley Beal with 23 to lead the visitors. Tyrese Halliburton led Indiana with 26. Benedict Matherin with 19 in his debut. Speaking of debuts, a really good one for Palabantero. 27 points for the Orlando Magic, but not enough as the Pistons beat Orlando last night 113-109. Former Pacer Boyan Bogdanovich had 24. Jaden Ivey, 19 in his debut for the Pistons. Other winners included the Hawks, Pelicans, Bulls, Raptors, uh, the Hornets over the Spurs, who are in full, full, full tank mode, not even close. And the Grizzlies, a tight one over the New York Knicks among some of the games in the NBA. So Jake LaRavia, I think, had five points for Memphis in his debut. All right, Colts, good injury report to start the week. No quitty pay and Kiki Kuti, who's already been ruled out. We saw the big hit from him um, on that punt return from Sunday. Uh, so quitty pay, probably the one to watch. Keel Leonard, non-contact jersey. He was practicing yesterday. Um, Frank Reich did mention he was able to get some lower body work, and despite the fractured nose, um, coming from that big hit that Zaire Franklin um, unfortunately put on him a few weeks back. So, Leonard will be one to watch. All three running backs, Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, Deion Jackson, all three of them practice. So, again, a much promising injury report compared to where things were last week. Uh, when we come back, we'll get more into, by the way, do we have something else to get to there? Uh, I was just going to sneak in college football. Sorry. I know we haven't talked a lot about it this, um, this week. Uh, Purdue is at Wisconsin. Again, that has not been a place for the Cole Center to IU basketball. Camp Randall is to Purdue football. I saw yesterday. I, I, I can't remember what media outlet it was. said, like, here's a photo gallery of past Purdue to relive Purdue-Wisconsin experiences. And I'm like, um. Oh, boy. Yeah. Let me, Purdue, Wisconsin, from a football standpoint, is not what Purdue eyes. fans want to get into, right? Uh, Charlie Jones banged up, so I just wanted to watch with how important he has obviously been to Purdue's success this season. Indiana is at Rutgers. Um, I assume that's a really, really tough ticket to get in Piscataway. If you get pulled over uh, on the Jersey Turnpike, they give you two tickets to that game. There, There is no <laughs> way Indiana can't lose that game, right? Rutgers favored by three, is that what I saw? I mean, that means that, like... Jake Rutgers won in Bloomington last year, 38-3. to three, The odds makers are like, you know what? These two teams are stuck in the same vat of sucks, so let's just... Your Tigers and, have got a big one. Uh, Clemson taking on Syracuse, by the way. That game, noon, ABC on Saturday. Syracuse is undefeated. Undefeated Syracuse, right? Yeah. Uh, Purdue-Wisconsin, that's 3.30. Um, Indiana-Rutgers is noon. Because I'm sure everyone is just appointment television. On that one. Notre Dame's got UNLV. If you lose to UNLV, you have to fire Marcus Freeman. That Notre Dame schedule's brutal, man. Well, they got Syracuse and Clemson the next couple of weeks. And, <laughs> uh, you know, I'm Marshall, you. Marshall's been a really good team this year outside of playing Notre Dame. I, I worry. Kidding, I do worry about, about the Clemson-Notre Dame game. I haven't looked. Is Marshall any good? Uh, her- horrific. I don't think Marshall and Stanford have beaten a D1 team outside of Notre Dame. I talked yesterday. My buddy Nick Harmon told me that he thinks Notre Dame's offense is good, but their play calling's bad. Thoughts? Oh boy, um, that quarterback. I, I, yeah, no, I can't go there. 
<laughs> All right. I can uh, where we will go next, more conversation about the Pacers, and we'll get Kevin's thoughts a little bit deeper in terms of the rotation of the Colts and who we might see coming off of, like, for example, Shaquille Leonard uh, injury, further updates on that as they get set to go down for a big one in Tennessee. That conversation all next. Scott Agnes, as we talked about, coming up just under an hour from now. Zach Kiefer in the 9 o'clock hour query. Uh, Kevin and Query, I should say. 93.5, The Fan. It is 17 minutes before the hour of 8 o'clock. My name is Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear in this program. Kevin and Query here on 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. If you are just getting out and about, Expect a brisk start to your day, but good news is it looks like the warming trend is going to be coming back just in time for the weekend. That is the good news. Some of you for the weekend might be hopping down I-65, the easy drive down to Nashville to watch the Colts and the Tennessee Titans in what is a huge divisional matchup. Question for you, Kevin Bowen, having been out to practice and seen the Colts getting ready for this game, if you had to grade it on a 1-10 to scale, 10 would be it is opening week and everybody is raring to go and healthy and everything looks great. The Colts' health right now is a what? I think it's pretty good. I, I'd probably say around an 8. Um, I mean, again, you look at the Titans, they still they will not have their top pass rusher and Harold Landry coming off the edge and Taylor Lewan their left tackle. I mean, if you look at the Colts, Quiddy Pay didn't practice, so he's probably iffy. Shaquille Leonard still up in the air. That's really it. I mean, all three running backs practice. Julian Blackman practice. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a pretty good health situation for Indy. I am curious. I asked Frank Reich this yesterday about Shaquille Leonard. Would one week of practice just automatically insert him back into, you know, whatever role he was going to play back in the first matchup? That was when he made his 2022 debut. He played those first couple series. Bobby Okereke then came in for him, I think, on the third series. Leonard went back out there for the fourth series, and that's when he got hurt. Jake, I I probably side with the, I think I would keep Shaquille Leonard watching for one more week. I, I don't love this matchup for him. In terms of? Uber physical. What, right, what he does well, right? Yeah, and I know Leonard obviously would scream and yell at comments like that but I, I just think Franklin and Okereke and even EJ Speed have shown me enough right now that I can rely on them and Leonard's a question mark and a lot of that is out of his control the guy's barely played and hasn't practiced you know anywhere close to what he would like to have practiced in the offseason and training camp preseason etc um, and again he was non-contact yesterday during practice I don't even know if he would clear um, concussion protocol for Sunday, but you know Casey asked me a great question yesterday, Jake, and I, I forget if I threw this at you or not. But is the linebacker room right now their current makeup? Casey said there's no denying it has a higher ceiling with Leonard, but does it have a higher floor without him? In terms, of, I, I get what the question is asking. It takes a second, you know. I'm I'm in the middle of algebra, right? So like, it yeah. takes a second. And by to, the way, great work on your midterm. I, I I got wind of how you did. That's 
Very impressive. Um, I think the key that I found out, Kevin, and I'm going to ask you to do this with this scenario that Casey presents, the challenge I have learned with algebra is not necessarily solving problems. It's having it explained to me what it is they're asking. Once I figure out what it is that is being requested, then it's not as challenging to come up with the answers. But oftentimes I look at it and I'm like, well, what are they asking me here? I can't decipher that. So in this scenario, and thank you, by the way, um, and thank you to my tutor who's been helping me, um, in this scenario, the ceiling, it's pretty obvious. When Shaquille Leonard is out there, their level of play rises to a level that they cannot reach without him on the field. When he's out there and his normal self. Correct. Which, that's a question in 2022. Now talk about what he means by the floor. I think with Leonard, and maybe again, this is directly related to him right now, considering all the time he's missed, I think there's a bit of a boomer bust with him. I think that's always kind of been the case, hasn't it? Yeah, but I think it's even more now, just because, again, he's missed so much time lately, whereas Franklin, Okereke, and even Speed, you've just you've gotten pretty steady play from that group. Again, you're still missing the turnovers, but when I look at Tennessee – I tend to think if you can just do a sound job on Derrick Henry, if you could sign up right now for Derrick Henry having 88 rushing yards on Sunday, you would do it. Tennessee is not flashy. They're not sexy. They struggle to move the football. They struggle to stop teams from moving it. They just find ways in critical moments to make enough plays. I mean, they easily could have lost the Commanders. We all watched it. Right. They easily could have lost the Raiders. The Colts gifted them some short fields back in the first matchup. And I just think steady linebacker play to me would be enough to get it done this week. How much pressure is there on, and I know this is such, it feels like such a crutch conversation piece, but how much pressure is there on Frank Reich or Chris Ballard in this game? Their job's not on the line, but knowing that, or do you believe that they in the back of their mind think about the fact that the Tennessee Titans are constructed and also coached in a way that is exactly what Jim Mersey has outwardly said he wants his franchise to be. No, oh, without question. I mean, Tennessee is the blueprint of what Jim Mersey talks about. Tennessee They're, is out-toughed Indianapolis. That's correct. Routinely, right? Four straight wins for Mike Vrabel over Frank Reich, five of six. When you're hired in the same coaching cycle, Frank Reich wasn't born yesterday. He's a human being. He, he, he gets it. Yeah, I mean... Anybody, I think, would feel that, especially when it's a team in your division, especially when Vrabel, I mean, Vrabel has that, I think, persona about him of like, he knows he's tougher than you. You know what Tennessee does really well, and it's very basic. Have you ever noticed how, and again, there are a few teams I have preached routinely that in the NFL today, I think that it is a passing league, even though as we, as I noticed on Sunday, you know, something like eight different quarterbacks won as starters going under 200 yards through the air, which was, one would think, an anomaly for the week, but we'll see. But Derrick Henry my, is simply, you know, winning games by feeding consistently your running back is not necessarily the norm in the 2022 NFL. But with Derrick Henry, he is, there's nothing normal about him. But one of the things they do that I think is is a real test for the Colts' defense 
Have you noticed that how they get him the ball coming out of the backfield? Yeah, sometimes they you know throw a little quick swing pass to him, Correct. things like that. Yeah. So he is at a full head of steam by the time the ball gets to his hands. And he lines up way behind the line he of scrimmage. Does, absolutely. And so what do you do? You know, I don't know what you do against that. Well, I think you got to win up front and hit him in the backfield and not let him get that head of steam, which obviously is easier said than done because, as you just pointed out there, Jake, they do a nice job of if trying to get him downhill. And, and downhill is the best way to say it. I mean, up, frankly. Right. Uh, and that's where Grover Stewart and DeForest Buckner have got to win early and just create – if you can get Henry moving left or right, he's just not built to be super successful yeah, in, but that, man, in that manner. There, there is no back in the league, I think, that it is more designed – to get him at full throttle by the time he gets to the line of scrimmage than Derrick Henry. The way they line him up and set him up. Definitely. Do you um do you put a lot of stock into like teams coming off bye weeks? That's an interesting question because Tennessee's coming off a of bye week. One you would think that from a health standpoint, I've always said if you or I've always felt if you had to determine when to have your bye week, I would rather have it really late in the year because that's the point where you know then you finally get a reprieve for guys to get healthy but I think guys that play the game will tell you Kevin that from a bye week standpoint it's harder to come off of that once you get in rhythm on the year and you get going I think it's harder for guys sometimes to just take the bye week and then bounce right back and play like I I think it takes you a while to get to get back to your traction again. It's like going to the gym on the treadmill. You take a week or two off and you get out there and you're like, whoa, okay, like I had a nice rhythm going and now all of a sudden I got to build that back up again. I do think that there can be a hangover effect. Titans under Mike Vrabel, 4-0 and post-buy. They've won those four games by an average of 21 points well, That would defy game. everything I'm talking about, but like what's the Colts record coming off by? I feel like they've had pretty good success. I, I don't think to that degree, but I feel Do like... Do you buy into it? What's your thought? I, because... I, I definitely hear you it, out. I, I'm not seems, acting like... It seems like... What I'm saying is it certainly seems like it would be an advantage coming off the bye, but guys that play will tell you that they kind of prefer to keep going. Yeah, I think there is an advantage. I mean, I think we saw it a little bit with the Colts last week and their mini bye week. It allowed them, I think, to have a few more extra days of you know, walkthroughs and meetings, and boom, they can implement, implement this no huddle, and you have such a drastic change in your offensive production. I'm sure there are teams that, you know, win six or seven games and their bye week pops up, and they're like, man, I wish we could keep on going, but I probably side with more of the, I do think the bye week is an advantage. We'll continue the Colts conversation a little bit later. Zach Kiefer's going to join us. We talked right there about Grover Stewart, how important he is for Sunday, a great feature on Grover by Zach Kievers. We'll chat more um, about that with him coming up in the 9 o'clock hour. Scott Agnes at 8.30. Curious your guys' thoughts on the Pacers season opener last night. At K Bowen 1070, at Jake Query on Twitter, 317-239-1070. What'd you like? What'd you not like last night from the Pacers? Join the conversation next, 8 o'clock hour. Kevin Quarry. Got in this morning about an hour ago. It was chilly out, and I was 
you know, it's that, that time of year where it's weird because you got to wear a sweatshirt in the morning, and then by the middle of the day, you're like, okay, it's not so bad, and you lose that, and then it's supposed to be 70 on Saturday. And so I got in, and I thought, well, I wonder what, you know, is, is Kevin going to be wearing a jacket, sweatshirt, whatever? And, you know, he's still he's wearing the, the pretty cool NFL Today jacket. Um, and then we got about halfway through, and during the commercial break, you took it off to unveil the Benedict Matherin jersey you have on, uh-huh. which is nice, right. right? Yep, T-shirt jersey. Yep. <laughs> um, caught up with Tommy Lloyd, his college coach, last night at the game. He said he'd send me some Matherin Arizona gear, so that was nice. Did you hear the anecdote that Jeremiah Johnson offered about Benedict Matherin at Arizona, which I thought was a really insightful I did, but please share a story. For our, for our, for uh, our again, audience. Jeremiah Johnson, the one that reported this last night, Jeremiah had talked to Arizona's head coach who was there to watch Benedict Matherin's NBA debut. Which I think that kind of says something to me. I totally agree there. I get he had right? other connections on the floor, but still. And Yeah, I mean, Arizona, it's not like Arizona, this is their, you know, this isn't Weber State where it's like their one guy, right? right? So... Matherin apparently in college was always just kind of hanging around the coach's office. After practice, he's up there, he's hanging out in the coach's office. Off days, he's up there, he's in the coach's office. And finally they said to him, look, I mean, no offense, you're you're always welcome here and that's great, but like, do you not have other places to go? And he said, well, when I'm out in public in Tucson – and I go out places, fans will come up to tell me how great I am. And I want to be in the place where I am being constructively criticized to help me become a better player. That's a pretty mature and wise approach. I know. I almost want to be like, are you real? <laughs> you know, like, who who are you? And, and this is why I've... All of this is why I fell in love with him and, you know, looking deeper into how he's wired of there's no complacency. He's not content. He wants more. Jake, this is a little thing last night. The game ended in front of the Washington bench. Benedict Matherin wanted no part of shaking the Wizards' hands. Just straight to the locker room. What did Chad Buchanan tell us that – or who did we talk to that said that – Wound tight, right? And, like, that after – Pickup games, summer league, whatever it might be. Like if they lost, like he's leaving the gym and <laughs> he's out in the hallway to simmer down, right? Right. Um, I think all of that is why I feel like his first night in the NBA, he has 19 points off the bench, and yet he left some at the foul line. He turned the ball over a couple times. Like that, you you can s- still tell that he is not a finished product by any means, and he wants to get to other levels with his game. Um, I think all of that is so encouraging for Pacers fans. So I, I, I don't know how you uh, watch him last night and not be highly, highly encouraged. You continue to hear these stories about him off the floor. Rick Carlisle told us he's extremely coachable. Um, and then with Halliburton, Jake, Halliburton's IQ is at such a very, very high level. Like He is naturally going to be an 8-10 to 10 assist guy, I think, every night of his NBA career. Like, he's just – he he wants to find others. He sees the floor so well. But, like, last night, when the offense is struggling, particularly early on, and yet if he can showcase a gear that's like, oh, I can get us 20 
I can get us 25 if we need to. That is another level to his game that all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, this is maybe not just a 1A or Robin to the Batman or there's a little bit more here with Halliburton of like he is not just a 18 and 8 type of guy. If you need him to go get 26 on a night, he can hunt a shot and do that. I felt that last night. And I don't know if the Turner injury played into that. He talked after the game that his mindset has kind of shifted a bit here in year three where he wants to show teams that he can be a little bit more of a score-first guy. And, again, he's so unselfish. like He's always going to have that element to his game. But that was very encouraging for me last night. They love Halliburton, his ability to lob the ball. How many times have they said that? To, to get the ball above the rim and let their athletes go get it. And Matherin, for example, just has a great body control. I know that sounds weird. Yeah, no, it's well he said. He has a great body control. Oh, his first drive, he takes it right at Porzingis. I mean, what is that, 7-3? Porzingis. Finishes right over him. Porzingis is one of those players, by the way, that it's like, man, do you remember what the – I mean, there was a time where he was a unicorn and it was like, this guy's going to change the game. Now it's he's taking a back seat to Web and Yama. <laughs> right? That flowed very nicely there, you saying that. Web and Yama. I don't think I'm saying it right though. Is it actually Web and Yama? Will you check when you're over in Europe with some people over I there? Will. I want to make sure that we clarify that. But <laughs> I will. I'll, I'll get well, that last night I guess the hashtag I forget who it was, maybe Jerry yesterday, it said drama for Web and Yama. You got that with Miles Turner going down in warm ups, right? Yes, absolutely. Ball boy, hero of the game. Did Unless you're Kevin Bowen and you're looking for 30 wins. Unconfirmed on the report, but did we see Kevin Pritchard slip a 20 to the ball boy? <laughs> no, they want to showcase Miles Turner. Are you kidding me? 239 <laughs> is the telephone number. We'll start with Jeff. What's up, Jeff? Good morning to you. Uh, good morning to you guys, man. I am just want to comment. First of all, I believe the fans will come back. You know, they get the highways all messed up, so... I believe the fans to come back and support the Pacers. I think the, you know, the attendance will pick up as the season go on. Another thing, if you're going to break this thing down, you know, you start new. I think it's time that the Pacers uh, have uh, new blood up in the front office, man. Uh, Pritchard is good. He done did what he did. And I think it's time to move on from him as well as move on from, from Carlisle. I think it's new coaching stars that's uh, coming in the league and you need to try to get one of them because, Carlisle, man, he's got an old style, and yeah, he got some young guys on uh, coaching with him on the bench. But if you're gonna break it down, break it down and come with everything new: new players, new coaches, new front office. That's my that's my take on everything with the Pacers. But I think they did pretty good last night. They they still young, and they still got a whole lot of room to grow. And uh, and if they do get rid of Miles Turner, they better they better get a, a good big because. Uh, you can't keep on playing with a bunch of guards and small forwards. That last part is fair for sure. I, you know, the part about Carlisle and Kevin. A little bit um, of Coach O, I felt like, with Jeff there. <laughs> did you hear that, or is that just me? He did have a little bit of that. Um, I was just in Louisiana, like a little of the yeah. the draw. You know, in, in the case of Kevin Pritchard, if they would have tried to reset – from a year ago or two years ago and just said, we're just going to continue to tweak this thing with little changes and stay in the sixth seed. 
that would would fuel, I think, more of the conversation of do they need to make a change. His decision and you know wherewithal to be able to gather everyone around and say, here's what we're doing. This is what we're going to have to do. I think it, it it shows some savviness on his behalf, but I think it also shows. Did it take too long to get there? Possibly, but that, I think that, it, that's been one of my issues. I think it shows though a job security on his behalf. If he's fighting for his job, I'm not sure that he he does that. And I know there's a lot of people that felt like Herb Simon had some reins on. Hey, we're not tearing this down. Um, I still think the drafting, you know, Holiday, Leaf, Goga, those three misses have just really really hurt you. Um, when you're in a market like this, as far as Carlisle is concerned, Jeff, that's a reason why I asked Rick earlier in the week. I think he's got something to prove. I, I I get the resume has got you know Hall of Fame win totals on it and all of that. Jake, he hasn't gotten the, out of the first round in a decade. You know, I I think there's an element of um, you've got to prove yourself. Late game situations last year, the Pacers didn't have great talent, but they were really poor. So. Um, it is unusual that it's a team that is rebuilding and their coach is, you know, a 20-year veteran that is in his 60s. You don't typically see that in today's NBA. Uh, but Who's this, getting paid like an executive, right? Right. That's that's a good point. Uh, but this is the group. I mean, it, it, I, Pritchard and Carlisle are going nowhere. Totally agree with that. Uh, Alex Golden mentions this on Twitter. He uh, again asked for some thoughts after the opener. Uh, Isaiah Jackson role without Miles was odd. I would agree with that. Halliburton is as good as advertised, and I love Matherin more than you. We know the last part is not true. I, I again, I don't get the Isaiah Jackson. Like you asked, I, I think you asked Chad Buchanan. This might have been around the draft, Jake. Can he be an every night starting five in this league? To Jeff's, one of the many points Jeff just made with us, when you trade Turner away, what's your future at the five position? I think that's a huge question for this franchise right now. And I thought last night was a golden opportunity to just insert Jackson in there. And I think if Miles is going to be out Friday or Saturday, Isaiah Jackson should get the starting minutes for a couple of reasons. One, again, you want to see Isaiah Jackson as an every night five. Can he stay out of foul trouble? Can he protect the rim? I mean, last night you just got dominated, dominated in the paint. And then for Jalen Smith and his role, you view him as a four. You've said that very publicly. And last night you're now, I think, kind of putting him in a little bit more of five minutes. And, God, I love Terry Taylor, but, yeah, I don't I, I don't need to see that in the starting lineup. Um, I had mentioned earlier the fact that we commented on Mario Andretti and the, the car and the rev thing before the game, that to me is one that's going to be a work in progress, Kevin, right? Yeah, I did notice that. Mm -hmm. uh, Greg Doyle had mentioned that in his column, and Greg Doyle has a very expansive column on the Pacers last night, and Greg joins us now on the Payless Lakers hotline with a serendipitous call. Hi, Greg. Good morning to you. Hey, long-time listener, first-time caller. How are you guys doing? <laughs> we are well, thank Greg you. Greg from Greenwood calling in, right? <laughs> Greg from Greenwood is calling in. Yes, Greg with I got I'm a, I'm on a two dog bender this weekend. I got two dogs this weekend, so life's good. Like that. All right, so you last night were at the game, Greg. You have a pretty expansive column in the Indianapolis Star about it this morning. Your thoughts on what you saw from the season debut not only of Benedict Matherin, but the 2022-23 Pacers. Well, w without Miles there, it's really hard to know for sure. I mean, clearly, um 
but it's going to be a long season. And, I mean, we knew that. But, actually, I, I think I had higher hopes than most people. In fact, I know I do. I know I did. I'm not sure I do anymore. Uh, but, again, with Miles, we'll see. But they, they never led. And unless, unless I'm wrong, Wizards are not very good. And the Wizards don't care. They don't care. Uh, Bradley Beal doesn't want to be out there. You know, his body language is terrible. I mean, he's terrible. And the Pacers got skunked at home by that team. So it, it, it can't be good. So I think we're all going to have to find a way. The point of my story and the point of really the answer to this question is if you're going to survive this season as a Pacers fan or as a radio guy talking about them or as me writing about them, we're going to have to, A, look for joy somewhere else in the arena because, you know, if, if you're just looking only at the basketball, you're not going to find it there a lot. And, B, we're going to have to be able to take a joke because this season's going to be um, a joke. Well, I think you saw the individual stuff in Halliburton and Matherin that were encouraging signs last night. Curious what you thought of the crowd, Greg. Again, watching on TV, there looked to be a good amount of gold shirts there. Well, um, they draped gold over every chair for a gold out. And maybe they knew. You know, maybe the Pacers knew. I don't think so. But maybe they knew it was going to be a small crowd. And so the, the, the shirts on the, on the chair backs would fool you. Um, I would say by the end of the night, the place holds, I don't know, 16,000, something like that. They announced 15. Um, they're bald-faced liars. There might have been 10 or 11. Um, when the game tipped off, the place was not even half full at tip-off. Here's, and I, I think – what's that? Well, Greg, here's the thing that – and listen, this is going to sound like I'm carrying water for the Pacers. I'm not – this is playing a devil's advocate explanation here, Okay. Um, there is no doubt that the number of people inside the venue is probably 75% where it should be. I, no argument there. The thing that I think is becoming more interesting about pro sports in general is that teams are figuring out that now, especially coming off of the pandemic where people just got used to or more accustomed to watching things at home or being on their own time, that they are competing against the television on your couch experience. And so they're, they're coming up with all of these elaborate bars and viewing areas and lounge areas, you know, essentially 60% of the ticket audience now at a Pacer game has a place to be aside from in their seat, watching the game physically. And so you wonder not a high amount, but you know, is it possible that 15% of the people that were in the venue were actually in areas that are not seen on television because they're okay. drinking a Corona premiere and eating a hot dog and socializing on a business deal. That's one of the things that I think we're going to see league wide at different arenas over the course of the year. Yeah, that's very interesting. And I'm sure you're right about that. I don't know what that number is, but you're right. It's a lot bigger than zero. Uh, they, the, the, re the renovation of the field house included in large part areas like what you're talking about. So, That'll be a big thing, but but to see, I mean, to see the crowd less than half full of tip off, and I realize it's going to be a long season. They're tanking and all that, um, but to see the crowd that small, the butts in the seats for the season opener, I thought, you know, I know season ticket sales were going to be great, but I thought, you know, walk up and whatever, there'd be a lot more people there just out of curiosity. I'm never one to judge the city. Like, come on, Indy, you got to do better than that. I'm not telling you how to spend your money, but there's always people that will spend their money on these games. It blows me away that there are that many, like. A major league baseball season, you're going to sell out or come close to selling out 81 games. That blows me away. Um, they're they're going to struggle to get butts in the seats this year. I don't care where they're drinking their Coronas. 
But that's why I'm saying you gotta you gotta go to the arena and find your joy. Maybe you find your joy in a lounge with, with a beer and some friends, or maybe you find your joy. The national anthem was beautiful. I mean, it was it was a violinist, and I thought the guy when he finished, um, I was made some comment to whoever sitting next to me like, "How old is that guy?" Uh, and and do his parents know he's out? And it ter- ter- turns out he, he's the concert master of the indie symphony. He's just very youthful looking, twenty nine year old, twenty nine violinist. It was beautiful. The halftime show was beautiful. The game had some moments. Matherin's going to be great. I mean, he's going to be – he's going to score a lot. He's going to shoot a lot, but he's going to score a lot of points. Well, here's the thing. I mean, if you're winning 26 games in a season, 26 games in a season sucks regardless of what way you're looking at it. But doesn't it feel different, Greg? And I guess this, to me, is the storyline of this season. Everyone knows going into it they're going to win 26 games because they're not trying to win 27. Whereas a year ago, everybody – they won 26 games and and they were trying to retool at the beginning of the season to win 40. So the expectation was different. Question is, can they keep people's attention over the course of the season in a world now where people's attention span has become shorter and shorter? Well, that that's why I'm saying what I'm saying and wrote what I wrote is I'm really I'm trying to help a little bit. Uh, and I'm not helping much, but I'm trying to help a little bit just by saying, look, there's there's more to watch here than just the basketball, but there is in fact. You know, the backcourt of the future is here, and it, it's going to be good to watch. It's going to be good to watch, but there's other things to keep your attention because it's going to be a slog. It's going to be a slog. It's going to be like they're, Friday night they're playing the Spurs, and that's probably their biggest competition of the season because they're both racing for the worst record in the league, and I think the Pacers <laughs> are going to beat the Spurs. The Pacers are going to win Friday night. I'm not sure that's good, but they're gonna, the Spurs are bad. Yeah. If the Pacers lose to the Spurs Friday night, shut it down. Just, you know, just never mind. Just take the season off and start over because if you can't beat the Spurs, then I, I can't help you anymore. It's New Albany night at Banker's Life, right? Hey, Romeo Langford last night took a while just to even get on the floor. 300, 400 fans I'm like, from New Albany coming up to watch Romeo Langford. Uh, Greg, uh, besides Matherin and Halliburton, if you're saying these are definite puzzle pieces moving forward for this franchise, who else would be with that pair? Based on what I saw last night, Jalen Smith. Based on what I saw last night, Isaiah Jackson, I mean, his numbers last year per 36 minutes were, were good. I mean, per 36 minutes, which matters, his numbers are better than Miles Turner last year. So he's got a, a very small track record that says he's pretty good. Uh, last night he was not. He was not. So based on just – like just on last night, they had two great guards. Jalen Smith is, is a nice power forward, uh, and that's it. That's all I saw worth writing home about. Like we never saw Andrew Nimhart, you know, Carlisle talks him up big, and I was looking forward to seeing him. We never saw Kendall, whoever he is, who's a six-eight athletic guard. I want to see that kid. Uh, the rest of it, I don't. I don't need to see TJ McConnell anymore. I mean, I know what he is. I like what he is. I don't want to see him ever again because he's he's not helping you down the road. He's going to help you win twenty-six games when you ought to win twenty-two. He helps Greg get to that, or excuse me, Kevin get to that thirty win total. That's what you want, Kevin. Great effort right? from him last night. <laughs> That's what Kevin wants. So Over, you think under. you think bench all the vets? Don't, you don't need to see Buddy Hield. Oh, I can't uh, listen. Buddy Hield's a nice guy, okay, but I can't stand watching Buddy Hield play. I don't want to watch him play. It's like watching, um, it's like watching Karis LeVert play. Or it's like watching um, that guy from Memphis, Ty- Tyreek Evans, play. I don't want to watch a guy. That just can go get a lot of a lot of shots. Is going to score a lot of points on volume shooting, and it's not going to be here when the, when the when the seasons matter. You're like you're not you're a placeholder. You're a placeholder, and you're really stopping Duarte from getting more shots. You're stopping Kendall whoever from getting on the court at all. I don't want to see Buddy Hield. Kendall Listen, Brown, by the way, but Buddy Hield 
and you're right. He is a very nice guy. I think his teammates like him a lot. Greg, to me, Buddy Heald, Buddy Heald to me is like when Forrest Gump is on TNT on a rainy Sunday in February. It's perfectly sufficient. It entertains my afternoon, but it's not in any way, shape, or form what I would choose initially to do. I'm just doing it because there's nothing else going on. <laughs> it's true, and there's a million guys like Buddy Heald in the NBA. And listen, these are world-class players, so I don't mean to be implied they're not great. But there's, there's, there's the whole NBA, everybody in the NBA is great at a certain point. But to actually matter is a different thing. And Buddy Heald doesn't matter. For the Lakers and all their fans to be dying to get Miles Turner and Buddy Heald as if that's going to matter for them is a joke. I, Buddy Heald, there's a million Buddy Heald in the league. There's a million guys that are 6'5 that can shoot, catch and shoot three-pointers at about a 37 Yeah, it's a, a it's a jag. Guys. As I always call it a jag, Greg, he's just a guy. Right? He's just a guy. He, yeah. He's just a guy. He's a great college player. He's just, but so, so was that kid from BYU. Where's that Mormon kid? Where is he? Jimmer. Remember him? Who? Jimmer. You talking about Jimmer yeah, Fredette? He's getting buckets somewhere. Jimmer? He's just a guy. He's out somewhere, right? Go get him. I mean, there's there's a million of these guys around the world. They're not even in the NBA. They can go and get you 15 points and give him enough shots. Buddy Hill's that guy. Not helping the Pacers win tomorrow. Greg, good luck with the dogs. Uh, based off the Connecticut commercials last night, Kristen Aries got a couple you could hang out with this weekend if you're looking for some company. So, good luck. I love it all. Thanks for having me on, guys. Thank you so much. Greg Bye. Doyle, right there with a spur of the moment call. I like it. He anytime Greg you're Doyle. like, hey, wait a minute, Greg Doyle's listening to the show. That's cool. Uh, I'd say a bit harsh on Buddy Hield. No, I, I get what we're he's comparing saying. Comparing him no, to I mean, Jimmer Fredette. No, we're being we're being obviously there's hyperbole there, but but I think what Greg's saying, which is certainly you can make this point, which is Buddy Heald is a solid NBA player and a guy that can be certainly a very good rotational piece on a good team. But if you are looking towards the future and he is not firmly set as one of your future pieces, then all he's doing probably is limiting you in terms of where you can get opportunity for others. I think the big thing again is uh, buddy or excuse me Jimmer Fredette by the way Shanghai Sharks last team he played for two years ago I feel like every player that plays in China plays for the Shanghai Sharks are there any other Chinese teams <laughs> that is correct they are the they are the ignite they, they are to China what the ignite are to the Marbury's got a statue outside of the Shanghai Sharks <laughs> building he's played with the Shanghai Sharks like three times he also played with um Panathinaikos in the Greek League. I, I just think we've got to totally shift our mindset and how we react to these Pacers games. Like, again, I started the show off with Halliburton Matherin. Halliburton Matherin. Like, you, you come out of last night, and that has got to be highly encouraged. And now you see what can happen with Jalen Smith getting consistent minutes, Isaiah Jackson consistent minutes. Aaron Neesmith, do you have any other pieces to the puzzle? You, you still got to go out and find them, obviously. But I think getting too into the weeds of a 48-minute game and you know how you look, this is going to be a really bad team. Uh, hey, Jake, I like KB jumped on that 30-plus win total. Only problem is I only put down 10 bucks. I'm not balling like Bowen, but he's starting to <laughs> askew my decisions. Hey, you're a Halliburton three away from being tied without Turner. <laughs> I mean, come on. Turner got hurt in warm-ups. Well, you should have factored that in. Uh, I was thinking they'd have good injury luck this year. Should have thought about that. Luck. Okay. Should have thought about that. Time, by the way, for a morning check down. The league championship series are underway in Major League Baseball. Both of them underway now, I should say. The Astros doubling up the Yanks 4-2 to take a 1-0 lead. Justin Verlander 
Six innings, one run, three hits, a strikeout, or excuse me, a walk and 11 strikeouts as the Astros take a one-love lead. It is the Padres squaring things up in the National League. They defeated the Phillies 8-5. This from Mike. Stefan Marbury was a Beijing duck. <laughs> okay. Are they big rivals of the Shanghai Sharks? Well, I, Sharks and Ducks, man, they don't they don't necessarily. That didn't, that's a we know who wins hockey that battle, matchup, right? right? That's, that's exactly right, yeah. Do they have ducks in Beijing? I guess they do, right? Cold second practice of the week is underway a little bit later today. It was they good certainly in- don't have sharks in Shanghai, I don't think. Good injury report to start the week. Shaquille Leonard did get back to practice. He's missed the last couple of games. Again, not only concussion for him during that Tennessee game, but also a fractured nose, red no contact jersey for him. Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, Deion Jackson, all healthy. Jake, do you think there's a role for Deion Jackson if everybody is out there? Did you know that Shanghai was a coastal city? I did not. Did you know that? Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I remember one of those cities is right there on the water, but I didn't. I don't know if I thought it was that or Beijing. Yeah, it's on the. It's is right Beijing the, on the water? It's on the Yellow Sea. Uh, let me look and see where Beijing is. You got reps for Deion Jackson if Taylor and Hines are healthy. Somewhere there, there's a bunch of ducks. What's that? You got reps for Deion Jackson if Taylor and Hines are healthy. Boy. I think if Taylor's healthy, you're going Jonathan Taylor 80% of the carries, right? I think, Jackson, you go back and you say, hey, you know what? We appreciate what you've done, but you've got to go with your horses, don't you? I'd like to think Hines could do what Deion Jackson did on Sunday. Again, I don't think they've – obviously, when you go in a huddle, you go that much – up tempo, you're going to have a ton of targets to your running back. They haven't really done that. I would like to think Hines could do that. I know he's battled a drop or two, but you would like to think that could happen. Uh, Beijing, mostly inland, by the way, um, it co- appears. College football coming up this weekend. Uh, you got Indiana at Rutgers. You've got Purdue at Wisconsin. I think a bye week coming up next week for the Boilers. It's 15 straight losses at Camp Randall. Charlie Jones, a little banged up coming into this one, Jeff Brom said. We'll try to manage him throughout the week. These are just the hold-serve games. We've seen Purdue at Minnesota, at Maryland. If they're able to win at Wisconsin, boy, I mean, it's all going to come down to that game at Illinois, right? For if you're going to win at West. Wisconsin, this is the year to do it, right? If you need a year, to, you've got to win at Wisconsin. This is the year for it to happen, right? They lost last week, right? Michigan State in overtime. Does that sound right? Wisconsin, Wisconsin's completely tailspin. I believe that is correct on that front. Um, one loss in the Big Ten West is just Purdue and Illinois. Now, Indiana, on the other hand, you talk about that game with Rutgers. That's not a hold-serve game. That's a must-win, is it not, for Indiana? Uh, define must, like, to try well, and get what? Six if, wins? If you even want to put yourself in position for the bowl game, for the for the bucket game to have bowl relevance, you've got to get the win at Rutgers. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, if you want to get your – over on wins, which I think is four and a half. You've got to get at Rutgers. By the way, in terms of Wisconsin, right now, one and three in the league. They are three and four overall. That is just so unlike Wisconsin. Yes, 34-28 loss at Michigan State. They did uh, beat Northwestern handily the week before that. But losing it, I mean, no, like losing to Ohio State, losing to Illinois. Okay, but they got blown out by Illinois. I mean, honestly, it might all come down, even with a loss this week, it might just come down to that 
Illinois game, but I think this is the one to continue a little bit of margin for air considering the Penn State loss in the uh, Big Ten, or I guess season opener for Purdue. All right, we come back. Scott Agnes is going to join us. He was in the building last night. We'll get Scott's thoughts on the Pacers' season opener. We'll do that next here on Kevin Corey. All right, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files is with us. Scott, when I saw your tweet last night about Miles Turner, part of me wanted to cry. Um, and then the report was that he stepped on a ball boy, and I thought to myself, boy, good thing that didn't happen under Scott Agnes's ball boy watch, or else you might have been escorted out of the arena. Yeah, no kidding. No, it did It did not happen uh, for me back in the day. I I hit a couple of players when they weren't looking with ba- passes and things like that. <laughs> but I can tell you this in all seriousness, it is very dangerous around there, right around the basket. Generally, you'll have a coach shout out, hey, uh, heads up or clear the pass or things like that to make sure that everyone, whether it's coaches, basketball interns, or ball boys are all clearing the space. So when a player goes up or down right around the hoop in that dangerous area, nothing uh, like this happens. It's just uh, just truly unlucky and fortunate it's nothing too serious, uh, they don't believe. I was going to say, any idea on the severity? Yeah, I was told just a, just a minor injury. Uh, they're not expecting it to keep him out any more than another game or two at worst. And mostly they were, they were saying, hey, let's get to tomorrow after he sleeps, swelling. But um, very minor is how it was framed to me. You know, one more thing on the Turner front, and Jake has talked a ton about Isaiah Jackson. When I saw that he was out and before I saw them – announced that Terry Taylor would be in the starting lineup thinking, oh, boy, what a great opportunity for Isaiah Jackson. Can he stay out of foul trouble? Can he be in every night five? Jalen Smith staying at the four, and yet they went with Terry Taylor. Were you as surprised as I was? I was, uh, except for the fact, and I think this is probably the reasoning behind it, is he's going to be playing with that second unit for the foreseeable future and he's probably got a lot of nerves, and he was expecting one thing. Do you really want to disrupt all of that um, and, and, and play the mental game as well? And so in turn, you, you started Terry Taylor, which if this tells you anything, this guy at this time last year had an undrafted contra- uh, was an undrafted player and signed uh, just a camp deal with the team. He hadn't even signed a two-way deal with the team at this time last year. So uh, I thought that was interesting. Um, but in turn, I think mostly just allowed for Isaiah to keep his normal role. But I thought you could tell there was a lot of disruption at the very beginning of the game. And I think Miles and him being out and how it impacted the rotation was probably the biggest culprit. Scott, do you believe that as this season progresses, that the Pacers will be more conservative in terms of injuries and holding guys out or aggressive, whichever way. In other words, will they allow or be more patient or err on the side of, you know what, the guy tweaked an ankle, we'll rest him out because of the fact that they are not fighting for standings and are very upfront about that this year. Will we see what normally would be a two to three game deal turn into a four to six game deal for some players just for the fact of there's no sense in rushing them back. 
Yeah, I, I would think so. And, and exa- for exactly what you said is for what purpose, right? Like you're not fighting for that one game. They might mean something, uh, you know, come April, uh, whether it's in January or right now or later on in the season. So I think there's that natural tendency. However, I will say, especially a lot of the new guys on this roster in particular is they don't want to miss a practice. They, they're back in the gym at, you know, 10 o'clock at night after uh, a full day of practice earlier in the day. So a lot of the, their new mentality for many of these guys is I want to be out there. I want to compete and I want to beat the guy, whether it's in practice or not. But I think, yeah, there, there will be that natural tendency a little bit of like, Hey, it's not this deep. Let's, let's take it easy. See how, you know, X guy feels tomorrow. And Scott Agnes is with us here from Fieldhouse Files. The reason to subscribe to Fieldhouse Files. Last night, Scott caught up with Tommy Lloyd, and I want to hit on that before, again, Tommy Lloyd, the head coach for Benedict Mather in Arizona. So I want to touch on that before uh, we go here. But a couple other things kind of rotation-based. Is Daniel Tice hurt, or, or why is he not even dressing? Yeah, it's twofold. Primarily, yes, he, he's – as it was told to me, he was a couple weeks away from playing. And the others, I, I, somewhat too, I think it goes back a little bit to what Jake and I were talking about in that last point a, a little bit, is what's the purpose? Like, what's his fit on this team? Uh, and it's not a knock on him. It's just a, a mismatch, right? Because they have all these young guys, especially at center, that want to get minutes. Tice will help you win. He has championship-level experience. He played in the finals last year. He's been there, done that. Uh, Pacers don't exactly need that right now. Um, and he'd like to get back to a team that is trying to win and contend. Um, so there, there is some knee soreness. He also didn't have any real off season. Um, I was able to talk with him and I'll, I'll write that here coming up this weekend, but, um, they're just, I think they're just taking it easy with him and making sure he's a hundred percent when he finally does play, uh, whenever that may be. Scott, did you really understand the, the, race car dealio i mean i love racing and i love the the pacer games but they brought out this like super wide half car and then mario andretti sat in it and like i don't think they gave him the instruction manual and then like all of a sudden there was loud roaring noises and uh mario kind of looked like well where's that coming from and everybody kind of looked around and wondered what was happening and then and then they pulled it off the floor is that uh, kind of like miles turner Last night, right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. They they inexplicably pulled both off the floor, and people right. were like, "What's uh-huh. happening here?" Is that a fair assessment of what took place? I think so. Uh, it it was kind of it's a, something new they wanted to do this year. It's kind of incomplete to this point. They're still figuring out kind of the process and how they select people, individuals to Can- do that. There's a couple teams across the league, Jake, that that do something to this extent. Like the main one most people know about is the Houston Rockets have someone come in. If they make a free throw, I think there's you know $5,000 or a small number like that um, that's donated to a charity, and it helps get everybody fired up. In Philadelphia, you're bringing the Liberty uh, look-alike bell there at center court. So I, I think this is one of those things that's trying to get creative and, and have fun in a down year. It's also a playoff, their slogan for the year revved up. So here, let's go down to Mario Andretti as he revs us up for the game, but it's like uh, banging the yeah. anvil for the Colts. <laughs> okay. Yep. But you know, the, the, you the problem is the, 
and and I hope people don't see the season this way. The car doesn't go anywhere, right? Like right. I don't want that yeah. to be and symbolic of the season if itself. Turner's getting hurt on a ball boy. Imagine what's going to happen if you got an <laughs> Indy car full throttle. It's a good point, but. Uh, can we get – do you think there's the chance that any of the three of us this year will be able to rev the engine? <laughs> I could see you guys. They have you guys playing the bowling pins. I think you guys both got in a game of knockout. You know, there might be that January game on a Monday when they need somebody for you. Uh, Kevin's He's, Kevin's game of knockout, a lot like Miles Turner's right, season uh-huh. opener. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yeah, very reminiscent of that. Did you hear, Scott, there? There might be the Monday game – in January against the Thunder, basically the, the 41st game of the 41 home games that they could give us a call for. Uh, Scott Agnes with us here, Fieldhouse <laughs> Files. Scott, like I said, you caught up with Tommy Lloyd last night. Um, Jake mentioned the Jeremiah Johnson anecdote on the telecast about Benedict Matherin basically saying to Tommy Lloyd, like, I want to be in this office because I want to get better. You know, when, when I get outside mm-hmm. of this environment, um, too much praise for me. Uh, what did you find interesting about your conversation with Tommy Lloyd? I think it, it was that for the last 12 months, they what a part of what they were emphasizing was to be aggressive and attack and, and get out of his comfort zone a little bit. Because I think the number one thing everybody has praised Ben here for is his ability to not only attack, but finish through contact. And, and I think Tommy was a little bit imp- uh, impressed, surprised, what have you, with how he was able to take on NBA level contact so soon, but the slashing, the attacking, that mentality was something that they really uh, first initiated. I think around um, a year ago, remember Tommy Lloyd came over from the Gonzaga being assistant for so long. He was the top recruit for uh, top guy recruiting Demonis Sabonis. He had been there forever, finally got his own gig and, and then got Matherin. And so I thought it was that, KB that stood out and also that just the positive reinforcement mentally um, with a lot of players these days and for with him and with Mather was hey you belong here treat it like you belong here you're good you know um, and then so I thought that was really impressive Scott last question for me Scott Agnes Fieldhouse files our guest he's on the Payless Liquors hotline we've seen in Philadelphia you know the process trust the process and then they end up with obviously a really good team I know that that's what Indiana has in mind here, and I get it. And we are just entering this tunnel. And there are good young players that are going to be fun to watch, but it's not going to be necessarily always easy because of the fact that they're not going to win a lot of games. How long do you think this process is? Like, in other words, we're having this same conversation in what year when we are able to look back on all of this and say that it was – that it's a, a completed process, that conversation is when? I think ideally you'd start to like have it, having that conversation with great progress and hope. Um, I think three years from now, and I'm not saying you're a contending team by then, but you start, you're starting to see the fruits of the labor. Um, uh, there's still probably a couple players away, but remember, they, if this draft pick, if their own draft pick is high next year, plus they have two more, and you may not even use those. Plus, presumably, you're going to make at least two or three more trades this season. Um, the main thing I've said is it's it's going to get uncomfortable and bad for this season. Maybe a little bit of next year, but I really think starting next year, you're trying to turn the corner. It's This is not like the process where they were just trying to be horrible for three and four years 
at a time. I think it's really – if they can have it their way, it would just be this year. I could see it creep into next year. Um, but this is this is different, And but it's nothing to the scope of the process, which some would say is not a success. They haven't got to the finals. They haven't won a title. They did find the one franchise-changing guy in Joel Embiid, and that was the pur- purpose of what Philly did. I kind of look at it like this, Scott. You feel like Halliburton and Matherin are definitely two pieces to the puzzle. Can you find a third or a fourth piece this year from the, you know, Smith, Duarte, um, Neesmith, you know, that that group? And then, like you said, you have the three draft picks next year. That's an opportunity to find additional pieces. You know, I think that's how I kind of look at it is you feel really good about the top two guys right now, potential to mm-hmm. add another star in next year's draft, and then if – out of the others, the others in that young category, Nemhard would probably fall into that group as well. If you can get two or three out of that, now all of a sudden you get to 2024, 2025, and there's like five or six guys that you have to work with, and I haven't even factored in the ability to add some guys with the cap space that they're going to have. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. That's how I, I see it as well. I mean, we saw from the first quarter what Matherin and – uh, what Matherin and, and Halliburton were able to do, scoring the majority of their points. You throw in and what, what we all believe Isaiah Jackson can believe, maybe he's that, that big guy. And what you really need is the 3 and D. You, you need that big wing defender who can also become, ideally, this, the number one player on this team. You get that, then you, a lot of these guys mature, develop, and grow into their roles. Then you start to really like with what you have. Scott, for those that have not yet subscribed, let them know how they can get access to Fieldhouse Files. Yeah, you'll just want to go to fieldhousefiles.com, and every time I post a story, it's direct to your inbox. And So I had something up right when Miles got hurt. I saw that firsthand and even told Rick Carlisle about it. <laughs> he wasn't even aware of it. That sounded Rick, awkward. How quickly and sudden that happened. Yeah, what, what, was, his, like, what was his overall reaction there? Yeah, can you imagine? He goes, because normally, I don't know his specific routine, but normally he's back at, a coach will be back in a, the office, maybe talking with people, maybe finalizing the game plan, whatever. Um, he was like, yeah, I don't know anything about it. How, do, how was it? Uh, what did it look like to you? And I was like, hey, I'm not going to speculate, but uh, didn't, he didn't look comfortable in his, it may be an ankle injury. So he and, did uh, not know that Turner had gotten hurt yet? Correct, no, because it was right about 5 o'clock. We talked to him right around 5.17 yesterday. Um, And all that time, and I I don't know this for sure, but my guess is at that point, Miles was still in the training room and they were evaluating what it was, if it was anything type thing. And so coaches are very, very busy. Yeah, to be fair, they're in two totally different places, right, Scott? I mean, to be fair, they're they're like in totally different places at that point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a short walk, but down the hall but yeah absolutely i guess it's kind of a we had a few awkward moments with them earlier in the week too jake right <laughs> yeah. uh-huh yeah scott as all, for the course great work with the tommy lloyd stuff up on fieldhouse files and looking forward to our conversations each thursday this year absolutely thanks for having me guys scott agnes right there on the payless liquors hotline uh by the way on twitter hoosier it doesn't have a name uh they're keeping a running count now of how many times i say in terms of so I've now got in terms of listen, and there was one other one that's my catchphrase. I'm trying to eliminate these. I'm like I'm in like Benedict Mathers. I don't. 
don't recall too many it of those. It is hard. You know, it's it's. I'm sure I've got a ton of them. It's difficult doing a morning show. The hardest thing for me to adjust to has been like being in the the awake enough, quite frankly. But just when you're talking for three hours, you become yourself so hyper aware of catchphrases that you almost catch yourself trying to stop yourself from saying them because you don't want to sound like a break, a broken record to our, our listening audience does deserve better than me sitting here saying the same words and phrases over and over. And I'm hyper aware of it, but it's, it is a challenge. See, the thing that I fight is over the course of three hours, do you act like the listener has only been listening for 10 or 15 minutes? That is very – and that's why you probably hear both of us say a lot, I said this earlier. Right. Or right, I meant, right. Because you want people to know – in Indianapolis, I can tell you, Kevin, the, the average – it's so different now because so few people are driving downtown for work anymore because of work at home and things like that. Well, people can stream the show, too, for two hours in the morning. Correct. Though, which we love, obviously. The research would indicate that the audience recycles every 22 minutes. In Indianapolis, the average person, if you're listening right now and you listen in your car on your way to work, your commute on average is 22 minutes. So every 30 minutes, you kind of reset the audience because you have a new group of people coming in and coming out. It's like a revolving door. And you want to respect those, first and foremost, that have been listening for all of that time because... That is most appreciated, right? But also for those that are just entering into the room, you need to reset the conversation. And finding out how to say the same thing five different ways is one of the fun things but challenging things about this job. No doubt about it. You know, in terms of that, listen, that's just the way it is. Good bingo card there for those keeping track <laughs> at home. Ring we'll the bell. Get some Pacers calls here coming up in just a few minutes. Zach Kiefer joins us at 9.05. Kevin and Corey. want to make sure we stuck in a couple of Pacers fan reactions from last night. I know Mike's been hanging on for a while. Mike, you like what you saw with uh, Benedict Matherin? Uh, morning, guys. Yeah. Uh, actually, I got a question, and I'd like to touch on something with him. Um, that last minute last night, he hit that three, stole the inbounds pass off a deflection, had no problem taking another three to essentially almost tie it, uh, and then – to y'all's point earlier, he went in there and got a reverse plus one. He missed the free throw. But uh, I'd just like to point out, like, at a time like that, as a closing point in a game, that's that's where your stars are born. That's how they're born. You Could know? not agree more. Could not agree more. Thank you, Mike, for that. Jake, that's, again, these are the encouraging individual signs. We've got to look deep into it. But the fact that Matherin was willing and hit the three, and then the and one on the reverse. I think he kept the play alive. I think he, he he missed the three also in that sequence, but he kept the play alive. All of that is so encouraging. He took big shots at Arizona, NCAA tournament on the road at home, translating that for a team that struggled at end-of-game situations last year. It was great. If you look at the fourth quarter last night, the guys scoring were all the young guys. And those th- that's what you want. For everybody all in on Webb and Yama, all in on the tank, 
you want competitive fourth quarters. And the Pacers, they didn't start off with a competitive fourth quarter, but they made it interesting. You want to find guys that are not afraid of the moment. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, Rob, Rob, you went to your first Pacer game since the pandemic? That is correct, and it was it was quite the uh, spectacle. I was very, very impressed with all the renovations and everything. What was, was your uh, favorite part, aside from on the floor, what was your favorite part about, like, how many games had you gone to pre-pandemic, and then what part most surprised you or most impressed you? Uh, we would go to about, oh, six to ten a year. Uh, my uncles are actually Dave and Bill Benner. Oh, yeah. There you go. So, yeah, so we would, we would go quite a bit. And uh, I, just the whole concourse area with the paintings and the way they're doing concessions now, the concessions work quick and, and simple. And How cool is that I artwork? Like, oh, the artwork's awesome. Now, Rob, are my you favorite, still out? My favorite was the Tamika Ketchings mural. I thought that was really nice. So, Rob, are you still out on, the, I believe, on the west side, right? Aren't you a west sider? Uh, no, we are uh, Pendleton, Indiana. That's right, Pendleton. Nice. I knew that. Go Arabians. Uh, Rob and I've met. Great dude. Rob, hope David's doing well. Thank you for the call. Um, yeah, renovation-wise, Jake, that that upper deck, right? You can kind of almost like a lounge area to stand and watch the game from the concourse, right? Do I yeah, have it's right? very similar to like if you've gone to a Colts game and there's that oh, like the, the Bud, Bud Light zone. zone. Yeah, it's uh-huh. it's similar to that, but it kind of overhangs, and you can you can. If you walk into the arena, you can walk. There's a bar area where you can walk straight forward and rest up against a ba- you know a lounge area and watch the game in front of you, or you could turn around and see like the mezzanine lobby behind you. And there are different areas of that throughout the concourse of the arena itself. Ultimately, the very top of the arena, where the window is that opens up towards downtown. That is going to be a huge plaza area. This this part is not done yet, but the very top of the arena, you can go up and stand, and if you look behind you, you see the skyline of downtown. You look below, before you, and you see the game. So there's a lot to do. At, at least as of right now, uh, in the few times that I've been there this year, I, I did an internship in New York in college. I went to Madison Square Garden a couple of times because I just had to say that I was there. I get really big Madison Square Garden vibes from how – the inside of the field house looks right now. The only difference I'd say is that the garden has that big kind of wooden arch at the top that maybe makes the sound bounce a little bit better, but it really looks like the field house from an internal kind of feel has really to me, it, it, I would equate it to Madison square garden. Hmm. Now, granted I was there back in 2016. Uh, so, you know, the garden might've changed in six years. The but, garden's the best. You know, that's actually like the seventh installment of Madison square garden. Did you know that? And like isn't when, it underground, or do you have to go underground to get there? Isn't that right? Well, the metro. Yeah, the the, but the don't subway like comes in. The arena itself, I think, is. I think you bust to the low underground and you take an elevator up to the arena. That's that right. You right? can, but it's it's you it's above ground, like the whole arena. The arena itself, like when you hear, you know, Joe Lewis fought at the Garden. That was actually in a in a different location. It's is that not, like not, Yankee Stadium? Correct. And this is literally, I think, the like sixth or seventh variation of Madison Square Garden. But it's still, there is nothing like the garden. We'll get Not back yet. into the Colts conversation next. Zach Kiefer from The Athletic joins us. I forgot to tell you, Kevin, um, 
whoever the guy is that is dominating our listener fantasy football league that is constantly proposing trades. Yeah, I hope he loses every game by 100. Why? I, I, too much ego. Well, that seems harsh. He's a listener of the program. Well, and we're very grateful for that, and um, I will shake his hand and thank him, but I'm jealous. I He proposed a trade to me that I accepted yesterday. Not that anybody cares about our fantasy team, but he proposed a similar trade. to. I guess the question is whether or not he's shopping Josh Allen. I don't know if Josh Allen did something to him, if he maybe he Does foresees he have him. an additional quarterback on the roster. He traded Josh Allen to me for Aaron Rodgers. Straight up. Uh, I also received, I will tell you the trade right now. While we await Zach Kiefer going to join us here in just a Look moment. Look how far you've come to bad-mouthing our fantasy draft, and now you're evaluating fantasy football trades. No, okay, I sent him, well, he, okay, he got Cooper Cup out of me. Ooh. But I sent him Aaron Rodgers and Cooper Cup, and in return I received Josh Allen, uh, Drake London, and Devin, I, I can never say his last name, DuVernay? DuVernay. DuVernay, DuVernay. Um, so Cooper Cup was a big loss, but Josh Allen is going to get you more points more consistently probably, more guaranteed points per week than would Cooper Cup. I feel, that was a good trade, I think, for you, as long as you got some wideouts to offset losing Cooper Cup. Uh, the current wideouts that I have on my team. I know you got Mike Williams. I do have Mike Williams. I also have T. Higgins and uh, Olave. Olave's been hurt. He's leading the league. Or he's leading rookies in, in receiving yards, right? I have Pickens as well kind of boomer bust um joining us now mercifully so so that you don't have to hear about fantasy football anymore he joins us on the payless liquors hotline you can read him at the athletic one of the premier writers covering the colts both on and off the field is zach Kiefer. zach we mentioned it earlier this is one of those games that if you're frank reich going into tennessee you are saying to yourself i need to get this one not just because it's a divisional game but this is the team that the that my owner wants me to be right yeah, man, all roads lead through Nashville. Those are Frank Reich's words yesterday. And you look at the Titans, and they're not very good in a lot of different categories, statistically speaking. But as far as this rivalry is concerned, I'm not even sure it's much of a rivalry right now. The Titans have won four in a row. They they beat the Colts fairly handily last time at Lucas Oil Stadium. And we know how much this means to Jim Mersey. He's tired. He's sick and tired of losing to the Titans. And I feel like Sunday could be a turning point. Either you graduate to the next step and you're really a contender in the AFC South and it's really your division to lose after these wild first seven weeks, or you're the same old team that can't get over the Titans' hump. Zach, I want to wait until a little bit later to get your thoughts specifically on Sunday's matchup. I think you and I might differ a little bit on that. Um, I thought it was a pretty healthy injury report yesterday and kind of going off of that, do you think there's a better chance the Colts maintain a role for Deion Jackson or Rodney Thomas? Right now, I ain't taking Rodney Thomas off the field. I'm not doing it. I'm not At taking all? McLeod off the field. Yeah, I, I mean, it's really hard to make a case to do that. And I know who that keeps on the sideline. That's Julian Blackman. But Blackman wasn't great early in the season when he was on the field. And there's something working right now with, with 25 and 26, with the two Rodneys. Like, I didn't see this coming. This is not what we saw in August in Westfield, hardly at all. But those guys are playing great. And, and the only completions that Thomas gives up are the ones where a ref gets in his way. So, 
you know, the seventh round pick from Yale, I didn't have him as my locked in starter at, at free safety, but right now he's playing too well to take him off the field. And I hear you on Deion Jackson. That dude runs hard. It's not easy to make 10 catches. I don't care how far they are from the line of scrimmage. Um, I think you're going to see a little bit of Deion Jackson in the run game, which hopefully, and we've been banging this drum for about, I don't know, 25 years now, maybe they can get Naheem Hines the ball in the passing game. I saw this conversation with JMV yesterday, and I feel like with how poor your offense was before Sunday in in multiple areas, protection, turnovers, run game, et cetera, um, and how good it looked on Sunday, I I don't think you can get – too far away from the no huddle. I, I know in Frank Reich's history, it's a, a very weak thing, and then and, and by weak I mean you know just that game specific thing, and then they do something totally different the next week. I feel like it's something they got to keep very close to utilizing in a game in the back pocket and not be afraid to tap back into. How do you think they will utilize no huddle moving forward? I'm a hundred percent with you you need to use the pass to set up the run. And I know that sounds backwards for this team, but they're running back. But if they go back to this run on first down for one yard, run on second down for a loss of two, they're going to be in the same spot. And I do not believe this offensive line is fixed. They had a great day Sunday. The off-tempo obviously helped. But let's not fool ourselves into thinking that one Sunday against the Jaguars means this offensive line has made the same turn that it did in week five of the game against the Buffalo Bills, I want to say, in 2018. So they're not fixed there. And I think they're going to have to keep doing the no huddle. And I think it works. And if that means Frank Reich has to get away from the multiple sets and multiple formations that he really likes, that's fine. You needed to do something on offense because it was abysmal the last time we saw it, and that was Denver on Thursday night. So keep it moving. Keep it no huddle. You've got a quarterback who can be accurate, even if he has to throw it 50 times. No, that's not sustainable. But what's going to happen is if you keep throwing it like that, you're going to have 28 break a couple runs, and that's going to change everything because that hasn't happened yet. Zach, give me the area. You know, we talk so much about what the Colts aren't doing or where where they're lacking. That's just kind of human nature of covering a team. But give me the area that right now through, what are we, through six games, that you look at and you say, you know what, there is no way in August I would have predicted this area was playing as well as they are, whether it be a player or a unit or just a scheme, it would be what? Yeah, good question, Jake. And, and I'm going to go with tight ends. I was really down on the tight ends in July and August and all off season, to be honest. And I don't want to say I was dead wrong because I think the concern, the concerns were valid. Jelani Woods didn't have a good camp. He didn't. He dropped a lot of passes. He looked lost. The dude has three touchdowns on five catches so far. And those are really, really valuable touchdowns because – One of them won the Chiefs game, and then the one on Sunday was, you know, a fourth-quarter touchdown. So I had a lot of questions about the tight ends, and and Granson has given them a spark, and he's the rare guy who's given them yards after the catch. I mean, for a while, it was just just Michael Pittman Jr., and and to get some yards after the catch on those crossers from Granson has been huge. They're not, you know, I mean, Moali Cox had his two-touchdown day against the Titans a couple weeks ago. I did not love that group. I didn't love the receiver group, and I'm a little bit wrong on that because Pierce has stepped up so quickly and Paris Campbell's played well. But, you know, I was down on their pass catchers behind Michael Pittman Jr. I think everybody was. And that's not really an issue right now, and it's, it's a good thing for the Colts. 
Zach Kiefer's with us from The Athletic, a wonderful piece up on Grover Stewart from earlier in the week. Some really funny and, and cool anecdotes in there, so I encourage everyone to check that out. Um, I would say one of the major defensive questions right now, Zach, is Brandon Faison, Isaiah Rogers for that third corner spot. I come back to a Chris Ballard quote that he he brings up quite often. The locker room knows. The locker room knows who should make this football team. The locker room knows who should be on the field. I would think if you lie detectored uh, 50 guys in that locker room, I think all 50 would say Isaiah Rogers should be playing over Brandon Faison and really should be playing a full-time role. I know he's out snapping him a little bit, but in my opinion, it should be a full-time role for Rogers right now. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't get the justification for it. They want to have three corners ready. That's fine, but this guy's giving up plays for you. And I'll throw another Chris Ballard quote at you that's on the same topic. You guys watch the same tape we do. That's what he told us one time. And, you know, no, I'm not not an NFL general manager, but I know what I see, and I know that Faison's hurting them, and I know that Rodgers is helping them. And it's not just because he's coming in after Faison, but – Rodgers has this knack for the ball, and this is Ron Miles talking, not me. This is Ron Miles, the defensive backs coach, who said some guys have that and some guys don't. And I think there's some, some little bit of technical stuff that Rodgers needs to get better at, but he's a heck of an athlete. And if you guys have seen those fumbles he's picked up, he makes a really hard play look really easy, and he's great at tracking the ball. I mean, he had 11 interceptions in college. That's a lot. That's a lot of interceptions. He's just a playmaker, and I just don't get why he isn't on the field more. I think everyone out there would tend to agree, but they're stubborn about this. They're stubborn about this, but but you're dead right. The locker room knows, and we know, frankly, we know when we see a good player and when we see a bad player, and Faison's not getting it done right now. And for a team that's been in one-score games just about every week this season except for the Jacksonville game in week two, one play could decide the difference. They can't keep affording to make this mistake. See, Zach, for, for me, it's both sides of this equation. Faison is struggling. He's struggling defending the pass. He's struggling with penalties. He's struggling against the run. If you think back to the first matchup with Tennessee, oh, he whiffed on Derrick right. Henry on the edge, and Henry went right around for a touchdown. So that's one side of it. The other side that you just brought up, Rodgers finds the football. He is so instinctual. I mean, look at him fielding that wild punt on Sunday. And for a defense right now that's lacking in the turnover category – I would want a Rodgers out there who can get his hands on a few more balls than the secondary has this season. That's a good point. He finds the football. He, some guys are able to just find it. Some guys aren't. And, and that's another point that's really relevant here. This defense is playing pretty well. I'm not overly concerned about the missed gap assignments on Sunday against Jacksonville, those big runs. That's not very characteristic. But I am concerned about the turnovers. They're just not producing them. And now I didn't expect them to go out and get 33 like they did last year, which was second in the league. And it's obviously a big part of it is they don't have 53 on the field, and he's a walking turnover. But that's how you win games, and that's going to get even more important as we get into November and January when you get into these tight games against some good teams. The Eagles are coming to town to speak of. So without guys like that that can make turnovers, that's just making it even more difficult for your defense. And you remember, before the game-winning drive on Sunday, what did the Jaguars do? They moved the ball down the field. It was a 10-minute drive. They converted a third and 13, a third and 12, a third and two, and a fourth and one. You've got to find a way to get a tip ball or to get a big sack or to get a turnover any way you can because that's really the name of the game in this league right now. And it's an identity of this defense they haven't yet found this season. 
Zach Keeper's our guest. Payless Liquor's hotline is where you hear him. The Athletic is where you read him. Zach, in terms of this game with Tennessee and then looking beyond it, I know in the NFL you go one week at a time. After that game is Washington, which now that Carson Wentz is not playing, should have been an innocuous game that probably very few in the league would have even noticed. Did Jim Mercer put unnecessary spotlight now on that game to make back-to-back big ones for Indianapolis based on his comments of Daniel Snyder? Yeah, I think so. I think it makes it certainly interesting. And You're not going to get a Carson Wentz appearance at Lucas Oil Stadium, which would have been a storyline in its own right. But now you've got the two owners, and, and that's the reality. And, and credit to Jim Mercer for speaking out and saying what a lot of owners don't have the guts to say what needed to be said because I can guarantee you a lot of owners feel this way about Daniel Snyder but Jim Irsay as we know in this city as everyone out there listening knows he says what he wants and he does not care about the backlash whether it gets him in trouble or not but I absolutely think there's a little bit more on the line for that game between two fairly average teams at best going at Lucas Oil Stadium next Sunday the day before Halloween is there any chance Jim Mercer's indiscretions are very public, and Jim Mercer, to his credit, has been very public in addressing them. When right. Daniel Snyder comes out and says, I've got dirt on owners, the owners need somebody to fire the warning shot back to Daniel Snyder of, you know what, step back a little bit. Any chance that Jim Mercer just felt the responsibility of standing up for his other owners because he knew he was the one owner whose life has been so transparent, there's no way you're going to bring anything up, so I'm going to be one that falls on that sword. Yeah, I can't speculate to why Ursay decided to speak out. Other than what I know of Jim Ursay and in my conversations with him over the years, he does not back down from challenges. And I know that's a vague way to say it, but he doesn't care about, you know, this this veiled threat, if that's what it was, based on the ESPN report that, Don, that Dan Snyder has dirt on these owners. He, if, if you want to fight Jim Irsay, he's going to fight you back. That's sort of his, his mantra. And I think that's, you know, been steeled into him through 50 years in this league. And I don't think he's afraid of any type of fight. I think his words kind of reflected that. Um, I can't speak to why he decided to go out there and say that. But I would say this. For all the public criticisms Jim Irsay have faced over the years for the things that he has gotten into, we'll leave it at that, he is not the only one. There's a lot of very, very rich men who have shady stuff under the covers. And the one that comes to mind is Jerry Jones. And a lot of that's been tiptoed around for years. But Jerry Jones didn't say a thing on Tuesday at the owners' meetings, at least publicly in front of the media. And Jim Mercy steps up and he said something. So good for him. Zach, last one from me. Um, an early look for you at Sunday afternoon. You like Tennessee? Yeah, until the Colts do it. I, I'm sticking with Tennessee. I, and I know that a lot of the numbers go against that. But I will say this. Tennessee is 92% in the red zone. Somehow, some way. Now, they're not going to be able to sustain that. But they're really good in the red zone. And Frank Mike he made a really good point yesterday. They don't beat themselves. They just don't beat themselves. What do the Colts do when they play the Titans? They beat themselves every single time with turnovers and dumb plays and failed third-down stops. So 
I think the Colts are the better team. I think there's a better team on paper, but until they go down there and do it, and, and I think, you know, I think the Titans defensive line's a problem, and I'm not sold on the Colts offensive line after one good game. So we'll see. But in Colts, until the Colts do it, uh, I'm going to take the Titans. Always a pleasure, Zach. Appreciate the conversation each week. And, again, The Athletic, where you can read Zach works, uh, great, Zach's work. Great Appreciate work on the Grover it. piece, Zach. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Um, question for you, Kevin, in talking about the Colts. You had mentioned earlier this week, and I wanted to, to hold your feet to the fire, so to speak, here. You had mentioned earlier in the week that you thought there was more to the elevation of Sam Ellinger going from third string to second string at the quarterback position. And then, and I apologize to people, I kind of forgot about that, was reminded of it, and wanted to give you the opportunity to expand on that. Yeah, I appreciate you bringing that back up. Um, I think there was some owner influence on that move. You know, Frank Reich yesterday had the phrase of, you know, Nick Foles has looked lights out in practice. You're not demoting Nick Foles, given Frank Reich's background with him, um, without, I think, some influence from the owner. Um, I don't know for a fact that Jim Mersey was outright like, I Sam Ellinger needs to be dressing, but I know for a fact that he was, leading into Sunday, extremely upset with how Matt Ryan was playing and loves Sam Ellinger. And I think if you're Frank Reich, you're no dummy. You know who signs your checks. You realize that, okay, I mean, the quarterback is not playing like we thought he would be playing. The owner really likes the other guy. And if the 37-year-old gets hurt, do we really need to see the 33-year-old Nick Foles? So now that an offensive line performance gave some life back into Matt Ryan and we saw what he's capable of when protected, which would lead you to believe that, in fact, the Colts can, you know, they're in. They're now within striking distance here within the division itself. Does that relegate back? No, I think it'll still be Ellinger as a backup, which I, I am fine with. I mean, I've had this conversation before. I know this differs from a lot of how people view backup quarterback in the NFL. If I've got a Band-Aid starter who is not going to get my team to the Super Bowl, then the backup for me needs to be the young guy. Because if that guy gets hurt, the starter, you're not going to deep January, early February football with some sort of stopgap band-aid. Right. Play the young guy and see what he got. And I, I'm not one of the belief that Ellinger is some, you know, the next Tom Brady or something outrageous, but might as well see what you got in the young guy. And then you've evaluated him, and now you can make a little bit more of a decision with a lot of answers at quarterback. Meanwhile, Jacob Eason's making his move in Carolina. <laughs> right? Threw a pick on Sunday, right? Filling in Five for PJ Walker. Five passes and threw a pick. One thing I did want to mention, I know you brought this up. I, I can't see Washington in the pregame locker room a week from Sunday saying, let's win one for the owner. Totally get like, it. Like, more nationalized on the game. I don't view this as Washington's going to have extra motivation for the Colts. Yeah, I know. I get that. I'm just saying, like, now all of a sudden there's – here's the thing. I don't think it affects Washington's approach at all. But if you're a Colts player, don't you say to yourself, like, whoa, like our owner just went, called out the owner of this team we're playing. We sure as hell better beat them, right? Yeah, maybe it does have a little. Honestly, probably has more influence on the home team than the visiting team. Right. Uh, time, by the way, for a morning check 425 kick, What's though. That? 425 kick. So a few more eyes on that one than there will be in the old one. Who's, the, who's the lineup? Do we know? The uh, broadcast team? I, I do not know that, no. But I will be on it 
I can assure you that. <laughs> I know that's. I'll be all over it. You have you have a fascination with I the broadcast team. I will text you when you're in Europe. I, I will text you just so you know. Okay. You know, so if you, you call me in Europe, then you get that little bring 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 bring. Like it 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 you get like the little Euro Pink Floyd really sound of the ring. Yeah. So no, you know, ringtone that you have that you have on the I mean, iPhone. You, you can call me. I'm just saying, like I, I probably won't answer, but it it it's somehow like I don't know when you're in Europe. If you call somebody who is in Europe, or I think even in Mexico, the the out, on your end you hear the European double ring as opposed to just. Bring. Drew asks this. He goes, "Is it the owner, or is it another example of Frank trying to get cute as he did with Jacoby, having a specific package for short yardage plays? Ellinger is the game day backup, and Foles is the backup if Ryan is out multiple games. Why was Foles the backup for the first six games of the season?" Would an Ellinger have always been the backup this yep. season if that's the thought process? I think it goes back to the Tom Moore quote. It's a fair question. By, if 18 by, by goes Drew. down, we're screwed, and we don't practice <laughs> screwed, right? It's a very fair question, Drew. I didn't want that to come off as me attacking the question. I just I will stand by the, the owner had influence on this move. Uh, the pop quiz is upcoming. We know that because Scotty Johnston decked out in his full New Orleans Saints gear has arrived in the studio. But before that, let's get to a morning check down. Last night in the association, Washington Wizards in the opener for the Pacers, 114-107 the win. The keynotes for Indiana, Tyrese Halliburton had 26. Benedict Matherin had 19 in his rookie campaign, his debut for the Indiana Pacers. Bradley Beal led Washington with 23. Kyle Kuzma with 23, 22 and 13 boards. And after the game, Rick Carlisle shared his thoughts on Benedict Matherin scoring 19 off the bench. I, I thought he played – thought he played – pretty well and he still had 19 points and I thought his decision making was really good at times and other times you know needed to be a lot better but he still I think he was he's plus nine and, and had 19 points so you know he's he's a great pick for us I think that's what's extra encouraging from last night Jake is 19 and 27 minutes and yet as Carlisle laid out there there's there was some left on the table for him missed some foul shots had some turnovers uh, but I think that's what is um, very exciting about last night. Major League Baseball last night. Sorry, Major League Baseball last night. Padres over the Phillies 8-5. That squares things at one game apiece in the NLCS on the American League side of things. It was Houston doubling up the Yankees 4-2. Justin Berlander was really good last night as the Astros now jump out to a one nothing lead. 17 strikeouts for Yankee batters last night. Game two will be tonight at 7-37. The Padres and Phillies, that series now shifts to Philly. And uh, game three will be on Friday at 7-37 in that one. A really good injury report for the Colts yesterday. Still no quitty pay, but outside of that, uh, pretty darn healthy. All three running backs who have been banged up or got banged up in the game, Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines, and Deion Jackson practiced. Shaquille Leonard was out there in a red non-contact jersey. Uh, so we'll see. I asked Frank Reiggy. He didn't, he didn't say slam dunk like he practices all week. He'll definitely play on Sunday. Um, so that is something to keep an eye on. And considering this matchup, I don't think it's a must that you play him. I, I think Zaire Franklin, Bobby Okereke, EJ Speed, uh, I think those guys have maybe earned the benefit of the doubt and 
Um, until Leonard fully proves himself in in practice, I, I don't think you necessarily put him out there. Yeah, for you certainly feel like you can sustain times. what you've had, right? Yeah, especially against a run heavy physical team in the Titans. All right, pop quiz is next. Two three nine ten seventy. Your chance for not only yes, sir, Kevin. The, yeah, Kevin Hart. Uh, Jiffy Lube oil change, but Kevin Hart tickets as well. Not Pity Sun, as I said yesterday. Kevin Hart tickets as well. Two three nine ten seventy. Pop quizzes. Jake, how about that question I threw to Zach Kiefer before we get to the pop quiz again? Kevin Hart tickets up for grabs. Think better chance for Dion Jackson or Rodney Thomas to retain. That's a good role. over under man. That's a good one. I know Rodney Thomas played pretty good ball, but I, a healthy Julian Blackman for a secondary that struggled finding the ball. Jimmy made a good point in the YouTube chat. Julian Blackman has hung in there and make, made some big stops against Derrick Henry in the past. Uh, boy, that's a... I'll be curious to see how they handle both situations. Frank Reich is not a huge fan of Thomas a third running that. back. You would take Thomas? Yes. He's done a whole lot. To keep him out there, but you know, it's kind of similar to the Brandon face on Isaiah Rogers thing. I think you need more guys on the field that can find the football. And, and t- to be fair, I mean, you know, Thomas has done a, a really nice job, especially for a seventh round pick. I just think Blackman's got more of a knack for that. Granted, how healthy is he after missing a month? All right, it is pop quiz time. 317 239 1070. Pair of tickets this Sunday night. Kevin Hart over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Is Kev- if Kevin Hart has a good concert, will that count as one of my thirty wins? <laughs> sure, right. Could really use it. Yeah, I mean, you. <laughs> I thought about you last night because I'm like, when they were making a run, when the when Halliburton shot the three, I'm like, oh my gosh, this might happen. Twenty nine to go. So I had a paper right last night, and midterm and a paper. Yeah. Oh. So finally, I was like, all right, I'm gonna go downstairs and write this and i and i can hear i could hear chris and quinn on the television because shannon watches you can definitely hear quinn well yeah and shannon watches volume 52 on her television uh and then i can hear her oh 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 you know (laughs) i'm like wait a minute (laughs) kevin's gonna get his wish here maybe i need to watch the games with shannon then if we're gonna have the similar reactions uh all right what number would you like number one through eight for the pop quiz uh, well, game two coming up tomorrow night for the Pacers, so let's go with number two. All right. Sam, I am. Number two is? That is Seth. Hi, Seth. Good morning to you. How's it going? Good. What's up, Seth? Have you called the program before, Seth? I have once before. You a big Kevin Hart fan? Yes. Seth, well, uh, the, wife, the wife's a bigger fan. Well, that's cool. Uh, Seth, you grew up where? Southside Indianapolis. Southport, Perry Meridian, Cecina, yeah, Ron. It's a Falcon. Southport. Southport, okay. And, and what year, Seth? Uh, I graduated in 01. 01 from Southport. Uh, that's a great field house, is it not? It is. You go to a lot. I, I just like Southport. You know, I was the grand marshal of the 2005 Southport High School homecoming parade. Top of my resume. What? True story. Still had the banner. Boy, Seth, you really missed out on that one, it sounds like. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm sorry. Did I say oh, yeah, oh five? So four years. Seth would have been well out. Seth, what line of work are you in now? Uh, landscaping. Oh, that's cool. Well, nice. This- did you do Kristen Airy's yard? It looked immaculate on the Connecticut commercials. <laughs> I did not. No. Okay. Um, 
Do, do you? By the way, I, I read yesterday, Seth, that now they believe that it's important when you rake your leaves to actually leave some leaves in the grass because it's good for the nutrients when the leaves like dissolve into the grass. Is that true? Yep, absolutely. So how, how many leaves? I'm going to do leaves on Saturday. Yeah, what percent? How, how many leaves? Well, we we generally tell people to just mulch their leaves, all of them. So you leave them? Yeah, we just mulch them up with the mower. Okay. and But you leave the debris in the grass, right? Yep, yep, yep interesting i i don't think i've got the mower that can handle that what am i leaving a couple dozen leaves across the lawn more than that i, I don't know um, half okay okay right. my wife's gonna be looking at me cross-eyed well, no I more that no more jumping in leave leave piles for rosie i guess right unless you're you do that and then and, you spread them out and, and you mulch them and it's a it's a lot cheaper for people to just have us mulch them than it is to remove them Gotcha. Okay. Sure. Sure. All right. Here we go, Seth. You ready for question number one? Sure. Okay. Question number one for you. Four Major League Baseball teams won 100 games this season. Only one is left in the playoffs. Name the only 100-win team that remains in the MLB postseason. Astros. Zero hesitation. Justin Verlander, and he's got the really good-looking wife. Isn't that right? Yeah, Kate Upton, right? Yeah. He struck out 11. Yankees last night as the Astros took game one of the ALCS. In the process, Verlander moved into first place for most strikeouts in Major League postseason history. I would not have gotten that. Moving his career total to 215. Who did Verlander move into second? Who did Verlander move into second place on the list? John Smoltz, Roger Clemens, Andy Pettit, Clayton Kershaw. Uh, Kershaw, just a guess. Okay, on this day, 1990, the Cincinnati Reds won the World Series. They went wire to wire that year. Who did they sweep to win their last World Series championship today? That depresses me so much when I say that. I can't believe it. Uh, but who did they beat in the 90 World Series who was a dominant team in the American League at that era? The Oakland Athletics, the Detroit Tigers, the Yankees, or the Red Sox? They had the Bash Brothers. Red Sox. I'm not a baseball person. <laughs> Well, okay. You, you guessed pretty well early on. All right, number four, number one overall draft pick, Paolo Boncaro, a frequent F1 visitor to races. That's when right. They think he's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, he had 27 points last night, nine boards, five assists in his NBA debut. Boncaro is just the third player over the past 30 years with at least 25 points, five boards, and five assists in his debut. One was LeBron James, who was the other. Kevin Durant, Grant Hill, Vince Carter, or Chris Webber? Now, he was a rookie, so that means he was young and not over his last name. Over his last name. Kevin Durant, Grant Hill, Vince Carter, Chris Webber. Grant Hill. Okay. Uh, Question number five. Pro Football Hall of Famer Charlie Trippi passed away yesterday at the age of 100. He was the oldest living Hall of Famer and the only player in NFL history to have more than 1,000 yards rushing, receiving, and passing in his career. For what franchise did he play his entire nine-year career? Was it the Detroit Lions, the Cleveland Browns, the Chicago Cardinals, or the New York Giants? Uh, The Giants. It's a hell of an accomplishment. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? Uh, he led this franchise to its last NFL championship in his rookie season. If that helps you out any, Seth. 
What were the what were the answers again? Detroit Lions, Cleveland Browns, Chicago Cardinals, New York Giants. If you were landscaping where this team now is, you would be doing a lot of, like, desert raking. Arizona. It'd be the Detroit Lions, Cleveland Browns, Chicago Cardinals, or New York Giants. Uh, Cleveland Browns, I don't know. All right, let's see how Seth did. Kevin Hart tickets certainly coming his way, so stay on the line for that. Number one, the only 100-win team left in the Final Four of the Major League Baseball playoffs? He was correct, the Houston Astros, 106-56. and 56. Clayton Kershaw was correct for question number two. The Bass brothers were Mark McGuire and Jose Canseco, the oh, yeah. Oakland Athletics in 1990. Grant Hill and the Chicago Cardinals who, of course, then went to, I believe, St. Louis, then Phoenix, then now the Arizona Cardinals. So Seth, good effort. Circuitous. Have fun at the concert on Sunday night. Appreciate you listening. All right, concert is probably more of a show, right? Yeah, it's a show. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess I, when comedians you say concert, right? I don't know. Probably more of a show is how I should word it. Uh, Mark Henniger, head coach of the Marion Knights. He's going to join us next here to round things out. Kevin Aquary on a Thursday. Fifteen minutes before the top of the hour, Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. This is Kevin and Quarry here on 93.5, 107.5. The Fan, coming off of what I'm sure was a disappointing loss, although to a good Indiana Wesleyan team, Marion turned things around against St. Francis, got back on the right side of things, 37-10. Now it is Concordia who is next on the schedule. And joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline to talk about that and more is the head coach of the Knights, Mark Henninger, who joins us. Coach, how are you? Good morning to you. Hey, I'm doing great here. How are you guys today? Uh, we're good. I Listen, I was wondering about this, and I probably asked you this before, but my, my guess is that you've got a pretty good feel on this. You'd like to win every game. I get that. But is there a benefit in having, you know, you guys got up to such a big start and winning big games by big margins, I mean. Was the Indiana Wesleyan game, I know you'd like to win every game, but but is there a value that can be found in coming up short in a game against a good team in Indiana Wesleyan and just seeing how your players respond to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, obviously you want to win, right? Um, and, and, you know, we didn't, you know, we, we felt like you go back and watch the game, we certainly had our chances to win, you know, and, and just didn't didn't make the plays, you know, when it got down to it, you know, there's three or four plays there in that game that, you know, which, which most big games, you know, a really good football game is going to come down to about three or four plays, you know? And so, you know, we went back and looked at that one and, and, you know, we, we felt like there were some, you know, we left some plays on the field and, and, and didn't make them all, but yeah, I mean, you know, to, to your point, to ask your, answer your question, like, I think that, you know, going into that game, we really hadn't been tested at all, you know? And, and so, um, you know, and then, you know, you know, you go through and you, you play, you win, you know, four straight or five straight or whatever it was at that point, you know, and, and win by big margins. And, and, and then all of a sudden you play a really good, you know, really good football team, which Indiana Wesleyan is. And, and, um, you know, we, we, we learned some tough lessons, but, you know, to our guys credit, I mean, I think we, um, you know, we were really disappointed, um, you know, walking off the field and, and, you know, and, and the next day, the you know, film session the next day wasn't, 
wasn't real pleasant. And, you know, there were a lot of, you know, the, the truth that had to be, had to be faced and discussed and, and, uh, you know, but our guys, you know, they did a fantastic job and, and they sat there and I think we learned, you know, we learned some lessons that, that, you know, ultimately make us a better football team, you know? So, um, you know, we came back and, and won a, you know, for us, what's, you know, what's a, a rivalry game, a huge game, you know, up against St. Francis. And, um, you know, so I think our guys, our guys answered the bell well, and, and, you know, we've got a tough stretch, you know, here to, to finish out the season, which, um, you know, if we do it right, it, it puts us in line to, you know, play more tough games in the playoffs. Coach, I'm curious, uh, you know, a lot of chatter this week for us has been related to the Colts using such a no huddle approach on Sunday and, you know, very drastic from what they were doing early in the season. How much have you seen the college game evolve over the years with tempo and no huddle? Oh yeah, it's completely different. You know, it's completely different. You know, we talk about, you know, you you talk about a fullback right now, and and you know the players look at you like you got three eyes. <laughs> like they have they have no idea what a you know back in back in my day, like a, a wide open offense was you know was you know eleven personnel, and you kept the fullback back there, and you took the the running back and widened that guy out like a slot receiver, and that was you know that was wide open back then. So. Um, it's completely different, you know, and, and you know, I, I should have, you know, I coached defense. I should have coached offense. It's a lot more fun to coach offense, you know, than it is coaching defense, trying to stop, you know, basically just all the tempo and the trick plays. And, and the team we're getting ready to play this week in Concordia is going to, you know, the, they're going to throw a ton of different looks at you. And, and you've got to make sure defensively, you got to make sure that, you know, your guys are, are really sound and, and solid and, and understand just kind of base rules. And you've got to be able to adjust on the fly, but, uh, no, the game the game is completely different. RPOs and and just you know the, the way the rules are now and and what you can get away with on offense, it's a completely different game. But you guys run a pretty balanced offense in terms of pass versus run, do you not? No, we do. Yeah, we we want to be we want to be able to run the football. You know, I, I feel like you know to especially as you start getting here later in the year and you know colder weather and 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 playoff games and and just being able to control the tempo and control the clock. And, you know, we want to be able to run it, you know, but obviously, you know, and, and, you know, as teams start, teams realize that and they start living the box up and, and they force you to throw it. So, you know, we've got to be able to do both. And that's kind of, you know, the, what our offensive philosophy here is that we want to be able to, you know, we want to be able to do whatever, you know, we say we're balanced. That doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, we want to end the season with, you know, exact 50, 50 run pass yardage splits, but, um, you know, we want to be able to do what the defense allows us to do. You know, the defense is always going to have to give something up. Uh, we want to be able to take advantage of that. When you run a no huddle for any team, Coach, and I'm curious how this works. Mark Henninger of Marion University, the football coach, is our guest. When you run a no huddle, do you have which which is the case? Does the quarterback have like three plays already designed in you know, and so everybody knows what's what's coming next? But when you have to audible, does each play that you're calling? automatically have an audible that's attached to it so that if if you're running a no huddle and the quarterback sees something that does not align with your particular play there's an automatic default that goes with that that all he has to do is say a code word and everyone knows okay you know yxb now all of a sudden becomes play blank is that how it works or how does that all kind of come together yeah you i mean obviously it's different everywhere you know but but usually yes you know you kind of have 
you have an idea, you get your base call, um, then I've, then everything is predicated then on what, you know, what look are you getting from the defense? Is that a good call or not? Does it match? Does it fit? You know, and, and you know, usually you're going to give your quarterback rules and, um, you know, hey, you know, and, and then, you know, how you do it, you know, really kind of varies from, from place to place. If you're going, you know, using code words or, or you know, but if you're going up tempo, then obviously you can't, you can't come to the line of scrimmage and, and, you know, have super long play calls. Everything's got to be pretty quick and, um, you know, but yeah, you normally it's, you know, it's, Hey, here's the, this is the play that we want to run. This is the play that we're going to call. And then you, know, you take a look and see what the, you know, what the defense is giving you. And if it's good, you run it. If it's not, then you change it. And, um, you know, but yeah, it's like that is, that has become so, so much of what football is now um, that like every there's, there's a, you know, there's a thousand different ways to do it. Mark Henniger is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Again, the Mary Knights 5-1 and one on the season at Concordia coming up on Saturday at 1 o'clock. Uh, Coach, three weeks out from the playoffs, three regular season games left. What are some of the biggest areas you want to see improvement from uh, to make sure you guys are you know battle-tested come playoff time? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, offensively, it's, it's just we've got to be we've got to be efficient. We've got to be able to, you know, stay on schedule. Like if, if we're able to stay on schedule and, and, you know, not have not have negative plays, not have just like, the you know, the five yard penalties and those types of things. If we're able to stay on schedule and, and operate, then, you know, we're, we're generally, you know, pretty tough to beat, you know. And, and you know, same thing defensively. It's it's about, you know, we, we've got a we did a great job this past weekend. We got we got five takeaways this past weekend. And that that's really kind of become the big thing is just make sure that we, you know, give our offense as many opportunities to have the ball as possible. So, you know, we've got to continue to, you know, to to get takeaways. We've got to do we've got to be better, I think, and, you know, just in our, in our pass rush of being able to put pressure on the quarterback and, um, you know, and, and actually, you know, end up with some sacks, not let that quarterback squeak out and, and, uh, and get yards and hurt us with the speed. So, um, you know, it's just, we, we just got to continue to get better and, and, you know, keep playing hard and practicing hard every day. And, you know, we go, like I said, we've, we've got a really tough matchup this weekend. They've got, you know, they have lost, they have not lost a home game there since 2016. They were on like a 27 game win streak. And, wow. um, you know, we, yeah, we've gone up there twice, you know, in that time span and, and, had teams that, you know, I felt like were better than they were and, and, and ended up, you know, not finding ways to win those two games. So, um, yeah, it's uh, we got a really tough challenge, and, and uh, you know, we, we've had a good week of practice thus far, and, you know, hopefully we just continue to get better. It'll be the Knights at Concordia, 1 o'clock on Saturday, and then a week from Saturday, home against Siena Heights for the penultimate game of the season on Senior Day at 105, a week from Saturday. Uh, out on the west side coach best of luck appreciate the time and look forward to talking to you again yeah hey thanks for having me on again our coverage will begin at one o'clock with the merry knights at concordia coming up on saturday afternoon no pacers action tonight they'll get back on the floor tomorrow it'll be the spurs friday Pistons saturday again the miles turner injury not supposed to be serious. We'll see if he gives it a go either of these two nights. And then Duarte got hit in the face late. Did you see that? Yeah, he did. Um, they ever give a body part there? Nose? Nose, I think, right? I believe yeah, it was nose. Was, it didn't look great there for a few seconds, but um, I thought he came back to the bench. Um, Duarte kind of struggled last night. The Spurs last night, you had mentioned with San Antonio coming in town. Um, you they know, were the, horrible. The, terrible right and i was i'm trying to find the the box score here here it is uh romeo langford 
You know, I was curious because San Antonio is clearly also trying to lobby themselves, put themselves in position for a high draft pick. Nine minutes. Nine. They didn't play the Notre Dame kid, right? Blake Wesley, I didn't see him in the box score. Uh, Did not play coach's decision. He was one of only two that did not play, but just nine minutes for Romeo Langford, four points. A guy on their roster that I'm kind of like, why is he not on a contending team, and maybe he will be in March? Doug McDermott. Yeah, McDermott, uh, 16 minutes, 12 points last night. McDermott is one of those you would think, like, towards the trade deadline, somebody feels like they need a shooter to open space a floor a little bit. He's a guy. He's a guy that can do that for you. Halliburton Matherin. Just keep on whispering. <laughs> that's how whispering you, that that's phrase. That's how you started Pacers the show, fan. and that's how you're ending it, right? Keep on whispering that phrase to you all season long. Thank you to the, I guess, spontaneous call from Greg Doyle earlier in the show. Scott Agnes, Zach Kiefer, all of that. Mark Henniger as well. All of that will be up on the podcast. For Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Sam Fritz, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Football Friday here. We'll give our picks coming up tomorrow. See you at 7.